You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we reach the halfway point of Star Wars two and a half months. That's right, we have uh, finally made it to the Empire Strikes Back. Oh, hang on a minute, what is it? Oh, Rogue oh. One! Here we are, Rogue One. The halfway point of where we are at currently in the franchise. The 2016 Star Wars anthology movie that is the movie to fix a plot hole in another movie. That's right, <laughs> the most expensive movie ever made to fix a literal plot hole. Uh, this is a movie that is seemingly beloved by Star Wars fans. There's been comments out there that this is even better than Empire Strikes Back. I don't think anyone hates this film. Um, so it's going to be interesting to talk about uh, everything that happens in this movie, which, I'm going to be honest, is an okay movie until the final half hour when it finally becomes a great movie. So we'll discuss that at length and see what we all think. My name is Ben and Hope! Hope! Bob Hope! Hope Solo! <laughs> and my name is Colin, and I'll be there for you. Ben said that I had to. <laughs> I'll be there for you. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> I just wanted to do the friends clap. Um, Rouge One. Uh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> A Star Wars story. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, Colin and I have watched the Honest Trailer this morning, and also I've watched the Everything Wrong With, so uh, thanks to those channels on YouTube for providing us with some good comedy. But, um, yeah, obviously when Disney bought Star Wars, they announced that outside of Episode 7, 8, 9, they're going to do some other ones, some spin-offs, some anthology films. This was the very first one that was announced. This came out a year after Force Awakens. And I'll be honest, when I heard about this, I really didn't know what to expect. It was kind of cool, yeah. We did hear about that, didn't we, in A New Hope that Rebels stole the plans? And, okay, fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Why not? Um, and like, this is just maybe the least, I mean, we talked about this about with Solo, but I was just not anticipated this film at all. I guess it sort of, it came out like about a week before I was like, oh yeah, that's coming out, isn't it? Um, admittedly, it was a very interesting time in my life. My mother had just passed away and kind of, you know, you weren't exactly thinking about going to the cinema and watching films like this, but it was still kind of a movie, I think, that to me, I never really got around the hype of it. Now, I don't know if that was just a, a Ben thing or there was other Star Wars fans who did this as well. Because as I said, like this film is beloved. Like this, I, I know people who have said this is their favorite Star Wars film. Um, and, you know, this is finally the film that we've wanted since the original trilogy. So, um, my, I mean, my background outside of that, I saw it once at the movies. I has saw it once before The Last Jedi, and I saw it last night when I watched it. So I can actually say that I've only seen this movie three times. So that's my history with it. But, I mean, what was your take in the lead-up, the anticipation, when you heard about this, and everything else in between? Uh, well, hearing about it, I don't even remember when I first heard this was exactly what the first anthology movie was going to be made. Um, I remember hearing the name associated it with it because um, as soon as they did kind of announce that they'd be doing this, you know, a new hope prequel, they said the name John Knoll, uh, who is actually one of the head visual effects guys at ILM who worked on all the prequels. He worked on the special edition. So he had appeared in all these documentaries. I knew the name. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. They're actually taking a guy who's been involved in the star Wars movies for a long time, not even in a writing capacity or a creative capacity and kind of giving him his own movie. Uh, and then when I started hearing that it would be about like stealing the plans for the Death Star, I'm like, oh, 
I, I came up with that story, which is <laughs> somewhat true. Not that anybody stole it from me, but like when I was a teenager, I remember, you know, being so into Star Wars that I started writing like my own stories for it. Um, and I'd mapped out like all these different stories of all these different characters. And the, one of the ones I'd come up with was, you know, what about stealing the plans for the Death Star? And uh, you know, it, funny enough, some of the similarities in here, uh, like the fact that it was the weapons test that would lead to it, and even a reprogrammed Imperial droid I had in my story. So there's a lot of things I, I rewatch this now where I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I, I remember coming up with that idea. But I think it's just a logical thing, and that's what seemed to me when they announced this is the first anthology movie that the only thing I really remember was just thinking, yeah, that's logical. If you're going to tell any story, that is the story to tell. Um, but the lead up to the movie, you know, I remember when the first trailer come, came out and, you know, just watching it over and over and over again. But I don't think it was just a Ben thing. I think the anticipation for this movie was simply that it was a Star Wars movie. Nobody really knew what to expect. They were just excited to see something that was Star Wars. You know, p- putting Darth Vader in there and having everybody know Darth Vader's in it obviously was a huge selling point, which is probably one of the reasons why it made as much money as it did. We talked about with uh, Solo last week. You know, the the almost false expectations that the success of Rogue One set up for any type of spinoffs, even though Solo's box office is probably what they expected Rogue One's to be before the movie came out and was as big as it was. Um, But leading to the movie, I mean, I kind of wanted to see the movie just because it was a Star Wars movie, but it wasn't like the episodes. And it still isn't for me. You know, I only saw this once when it was in theaters. I saw it when it came out on Blu-ray. I saw it... uh, you know, before Last Jedi came out and saw it again now. So I think I'm maybe four times that I've seen this. Uh, did I just count to four or did I count to three? I, uh, I don't I think, know words, you know. Well, now, four, there you go. <laughs> I just hit four. So <laughs> my, my math skills, Ben reading skills. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I've seen this four times now. And it's not one of the ones that I always feel the need to watch. And I kind of like it better that way. I like not knowing this movie by heart the same way as the episodes are. And it's going to be really interesting when we do get to our rankings I, I honestly have no idea how to rank this right now, but even when we get overall, like, is it possible to hold this on the same level as the episodes? Because that was kind of the reaction I had. I'm like, I absolutely love this movie. It was probably my favorite movie I saw that whole year it came out, but I didn't have that urge. I have to see it again. And since it's been out, it's not like I need to rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. Whereas even Last Jedi, I saw it more times than Rogue One, and I don't even care for Last Jedi. So the standalone concept, I. I think that's part of the thing is that you know you're going to see a one-off story and when it's over it's not like oh I need to rewatch this till I you know have a chance to see what happens in Rogue 2. You know Rogue 2 is never coming. So this being a standalone movie I think it just sort of lends itself to being a one-off that that doesn't bring the same level of excitement either going into the movie or coming out of it. And this is by far the the most serious of all the Star Wars movies as well. So kind of, um, you know, you watch Star Wars for a certain level of mixture of seriousness and humour and sci-fi and action and everything. So, like, yeah, this is one that I think, you know, I agree, I wouldn't necessarily always feel the need to watch it. I I will say, though, that um, I think when you watch this back-to-back with A New Hope, it does add a new layer to maybe even just the last half hour. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I did that, uh, sort of on this rewatch just because like, I've, you know, never missed that opportunity to do it. And it does definitely add an element to it. And I think it does make this movie, uh, better, but 
but we can talk a little bit about that towards the end. Um, I mean, this was, I guess, in a way similar to Solo in some aspects that it had a lot of issues in the, in the filming of it. They went about five weeks worth of reshoots because didn't that, that even happen after the trailer, didn't that? Because didn't the trailer come out quite yeah. early? Like that was a fairly early trailer release, wasn't it? I think it was, uh, yeah, earlier in the year, maybe around the time of the Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, we're probably looking at nine months before the movie came out. So, and, of course, famously, half of the stuff in the trailer isn't even in the movie. Yeah, yeah, because like, you've got, what, a, a shot of a TIE fighter versus Jin and lines that mm-hmm. are said. And because and, um, Sol Guerrero was meant to be in it a lot more from what I uh, know. And yeah. then everything along those lines. So, obviously, a lot of reshoots. It, it's interesting how... Disney kind of have this panic mode over the, the anthology films. So did they watch The Last Jedi before they released it? Like, didn't think that that <laughs> could have undergone some reshoots here and there? Uh, like just They're the ones that the fans that's, care that's always, about, Disney. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing that's always frustrating to me, is that even with The Force Awakens, they went into a bit of panic. I mean, that movie, it didn't get delayed, but they had a script. And at the last minute, they're like, you know, we need to completely retool this. You know, they went into emergency rewrite mode. It wasn't like during production, but just be- just before production began, J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan is like, we're going to start from scratch. When we get to Force Awakens, I, I think that's been blown out of proportion because it's not like they changed everything about the movie. But they-, they rewrote the whole screenplay, added new characters, combined some characters. And then with this one, obviously, the rumor is, and the rumor has been confirmed by the one person who is not still an employee of Lucasfilm and doesn't have you know uh, anything to lose, that it was upwards of a third of the movie they completely reshot. And then the same thing with Solo. Last Jedi seemed to be the only one where Lucasfilm's like, yeah, you know what? Everything works. <laughs> then look what came out of it. There you go, Disney. Don't just release a movie without possible reshoots. Um, Reshoot a third <laughs> of every Star Wars movie and you will have success. We will happily wait a couple more months if it means we don't get The Last Jedi. Like, I, I gladly will wait three, four, four, five months. Like, I will I will put my hand up, Disney, and say, like, okay, bring it out in May. Don't care. That's what you used to do with the prequels. Well, you didn't own them back then, but whatever. You know what I mean? And you know what? <laughs> if you can't get an actor back, just CGI it. You... Let's get video game Peter Cushing in there <laughs> for every Star Wars movie that's in trouble. Um, Gary Witter uh, originally wrote the script, and uh, I guess when you got a guy who is involved in After Earth involved, um, you're probably going to need to reshoot <laughs> it. I've never seen After Earth, but I know its reputation. Um, so they brought. I in... actually kind of like After Earth. Really? I'm be honest on it. Okay. It's not that bad. Okay. Well, you know, I like Will Smith. So, you know, I've never seen a bad Will Smith movie. So, I mean, half of Hancock was bad, but the first half was good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what happened with that movie? It just started off so good, and then all of a sudden, it just like, huh? Uh, Who flicked the switch in this desperately one? Desperately needed. <laughs> desperately needed five weeks of reshoots. That that was the original Deadpool, and then it just killed itself basically but anyway mm-hmm. well not the original Deadpool. the original Deadpool was a comic but shut up Ben. uh tony gilroy <laughs> was brought in um to help do the reshoot and uh involved in uh the born legacy uh michael clayton born any all the Everything. born movies really and also he was involved in armageddon um can, can i just point that out <laughs> so was jj abrams yeah exactly and so was joss whedon wasn't he as well so uh no, that no was if star wars is in trouble armageddon. just go to somebody involved in armageddon michael bay is up for episode i don't know <laughs> 10 or 11 was, was joss whedon in twister or armageddon or both i know he's in one of them 
That was Twister, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, he did Toy Story. Yeah, I don't remember which one it was. Uh, no, Maybe he, it was Twister. He was involved in one of them, anyway. But, uh, so, you know, brought that in to, to fix all that up. Um, but I do like that quote from uh, Gareth Edwards, the director, who said that, you know, this film would be similar to a war film, basically, where it's, you know, the good guys are bad, bad guys are good, it's complicated, layered, a very rich scenario in which to set a movie. And you kind of see that, like, this is, like, particularly the last half hour or so, um, it reminded me very much of like a Saving Private Ryan, kind of the beach and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So, um, I think kind of like the two anthology films, we get a, a unique feel about them. You know, Solo, very heisty, bit Indiana Jonesy, kind of a few elements here and there. Whereas this has sort of got that war element to it, which at the end of the day, like this isn't going to be my favorite Star Wars film, but I still appreciate this for what they've attempted to do. And I think kind of like you, yeah, like it's, uh, you know, you don't need to watch it and everything. But um, visually, this might be the most beautiful of all the Star Wars films. Like, this movie looks incredible. And I also think, too, and maybe this is another reason, like, you're talking about the Darth Vader aspect. I think a lot of the reason why this movie proved to be so popular with the fans and everything is that, you know, literally this is taking seconds before A New Hope. So the look of this film, we talked about it at the end of Revenge of the Sith, how kind of those closing moments, you know, we get the Star Destroyer, we get kind of the shots of the rebel ship, and, you know, you really feel like, oh, my God, like, mm-hmm. I'm back in the original trilogy. This one, like, it's just, it's filled to the bits with everything with this one. But it also does a really... 70s good... mustaches and everything. Yeah, exactly. And it also does a really good job, though, of actually kind of bridging the prequels with the original trilogy as mm-hmm. well. You know, we have Jimmy Smits is back. Um, we have <laughs> Volcanic Planet, Mustafa. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just like little things like that, which I think kind of is a, is a good balance. So um, even with all this fixation on the, the reshoots and the new writers and everything along those lines, um, I mean, it, it did not get any of the backlash that obviously Solo did. Yeah, which is, I think, kind of, we talked about last week, it's kind of unfair because Mm -hmm. in comparison, Solo, they just brought on a different director to fix what was already a decent script. They didn't have to rewrite it. I mean, here they brought on a new screenwriter to completely rewrite a huge chunk of the movie, completely retool characters, and then use that same screenwriter to redirect sequences without Gareth Edwards. I mean, th- there's conflicting reports on that, but, I mean, Tony Gilroy himself has basically said, yeah, you know, I, ha- I was brought on to direct a lot of this, most of the reshoots as well. So I think they just kept it under wraps better with Rogue One, even though it was a, such a huge story about, oh, the troubled production of Rogue One, maybe because the result, it came out, and it was just, it was so perfect for what people were expecting, whereas Solo... Solo was always sort of intended to just be, you know, its own little series. And I think that's the other thing is that Rogue One just being a complete standalone movie where, you know, it it, it ends and it ends. You know, you're not going to have Rogue Two, as I said, Hmm. whereas Solo, it was a lot of setting up a potential trilogy and people saying, yeah, you know, that was good. But I don't know if I, you know, really need I love Darth Maul, but I don't know if I need a whole series out of this. They just took different directions with this. And I think that's. Probably the the bigger problem with Solo was that they had these ambitions of a trilogy, whereas maybe they should have just kept it as a standalone movie, and people would have accepted it more once it was over. Gareth Edwards, obviously coming off uh, Godzilla, the reboot of Godzilla, which uh, we will be covering next year on the Oz Network, and before that, a movie called Monsters. Have you seen Monsters? Monsters? 
No, I haven't. I know that I remember when it came out, though, people were just going crazy over it. It was like, this is, you know, such a fantastic sci-fi movie. Similar to like the way people freaked out over District 9 when that came out. So I remember when he got Godzilla, too, there was all this talk about, oh, this guy's going to be such a big director. And I remember seeing Godzilla and being totally unimpressed with a movie. But there's been a few times in my life where I've seen a movie and thought, that movie sucked, but this director does have something. So I, I'm a fan of Gareth Edwards, despite not really being a fan of what he did in Godzilla. It's very interesting that they kind of hand the reins to someone who had really not had that much of a resume. Uh, I mean, you know, Monsters was, what, a pretty small film, wasn't it? So then you look at Godzilla, mm-hmm. which obviously not a small film, but, you know, they, they obviously saw enough in him that all of a sudden, boom, hey, here's the keys to the most, uh, you know, dev- yeah. <laughs> biggest franchise in movie history. Just... You might get a little bit of uh, fan love or backlash, like whatever it takes, kind of, with this one as well. But he was a big fan, too, uh, like a real big fan. I remember when they were doing um, all the publicity leading up to this, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel does this, anything that Disney owns. So every time there's a big Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie, Jimmy Kimmel will do, like, an entire week where he'll do episodes and bring everybody out, like a whole panel. So in the case of this, he's like, all right, we're going to do an episode. We're going to bring out... Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Forrest Whitaker, Gareth Edwards, and have like everybody on stage for an entire hour. And I remember watching that and thinking, usually in these cases, nobody wants to hear from the director. And he spends the whole time talking to Gareth Edwards because he's such a diehard Star Wars fan that uh, for, I think it was like his 30th or 25th birthday or something like that, he went to Tunisia just to visit all the sets of A New Hope. Hmm. And there's all these pictures you can see of him, you know, on Luke's farm and, um, you know, the, the uh, I guess the courtyard in the, the, the Lars home and him just standing in like the marketplaces of Mos Eisley, all these sets that still stand there. Uh, I mean, that's how devoted he was to Star Wars. And I think that's one of the reasons why the movie does work, despite the fact there were story problems with what he carried about visually, why it works and how he had so much attention to detail in bringing even new designs like when we get to Scarif at the end of the movie you know we're not seeing the inside of a star destroyer it's easy to duplicate the inside of a star destroyer or leia's ship or the the base on yavin when you're basically creating an entirely new environment but having to make it look like something that belongs in the empire strikes back or a new hope i mean it, it takes it takes a real big fan to be able to to pull out all those details I was really not familiar with Felicity Jones coming into this. Um, even looking at her... Oh, she was in The Theory of Everything. I've seen that. Um, she was she was the wife, wasn't she? You don't like that movie. Yeah. Um, and no. <laughs> who, who was she in The Amazing Spider-Man 2? She was Felicia Hardy. Do I remember that? Was that a prominent character? I blocked that movie out of my brain, it, to be honest. Yeah, she, I think she was like, you know, an, the um, assistant to um, Harry... Right. It was a setup for her to be in the Amazing Spider-Man Three as Black Cat. I was hoping she would be the the butler. Like I recognize, I was glad <laughs> I won't, Harry. Um, were you very familiar with Felicity Jones? No, I mean I'd seen her obviously in the Theory of Everything. Um, I, I could have picked out what she did in um, the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Uh, she did the uh, I, I don't I hadn't seen it at this point, but I knew that she had also been cast in the the third Da Vinci Code movie around the same time. So there was a lot of buzz about her. But like the theory of everything was the only thing I really was exposed to her from. And as much as I really do dislike that movie, <laughs> uh, I, I can give some credit to Eddie Redmayne. 
But I remember walking out of this just thinking like, man, this wife is not good. Like I even after watching Rogue One, I really struggled to see why people give her so much credit as an actress because I just don't think she's that good. I don't find her exciting. I think she's arguably the weakest performance we get in this movie. And a lot of that is the problems with the character. But, you know, Jamie was even asking me as we were watching this. And I'm like, no, you know, I, 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 I just I, I think she's so incredibly average. And we have some actors in here with very little experience that make the most of their characters. And whether it was a, a directing decision or something that was lost in the reshoots, because I think most of the reshoots were around her and um, Cassie and those two characters. Uh, just not completely retooling their characters. So maybe something got lost in that, but I'm like, I just, uh, I, I really think that she's the weakest thing in this movie. I, I, I just kind of, she's there to me. Like, I mean, um, I think she's kind of like Captain Marvel, but trying. Like, as in Captain Marvel's just bland and boring. Whereas, you know, I think she's trying a little bit better. Like, she she seems to care to be in this movie, unlike Brie Larson. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's network shitting all over women characters again. It's not a thing. Like, we can talk out if they're not a very good character. We'll do it with the men in this movie, too. Um, like, Diego... Well, I'm going to have some very good arguments <laughs> as to why her character fails. And I think most of it is writing. But even outside of, like, the writing, I just... I don't get the hype about her in other movies, either. Diego Luna, I knew from The Terminal, because I love that movie. Uh, that's basically the only movie I think I'd say. I sadly hadn't seen Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. I think we talked about that a few <laughs> years ago. Um, but Ben Mil- uh, Mendelsohn, sorry. Um, it's just... They, they oh, yeah. cast good villains. Um, you know, we obviously had that with Paul Bettany uh, in Solo. Clearly, I realised that was released after Rogue One, but... Um, you know, I think kind of Disney's done a... If I have to give credit for Disney in their Star Wars uh, universe since they've bought it, like, I think they've done a pretty good job with casting their, their villains. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think kind of they, they've done that quite well. Um, and it's it's Alan Tudyk. It's Tudyk, isn't it, how you say his name as yeah, well? Yeah, Tudyk. Who is, I mean, let's be honest, everyone's favourite in this movie is Amazing. K2. Like, the, <laughs> the best droid Disney has created. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else that I'm avoiding here when it comes to, before we get into the movie. One thing I'm reading here with the casting, I like the fact that, um, Aaron Paul was being, uh, uh, targeted for the main role. I want to see Jesse Pinkman, uh, in a Star Wars movie. Like, you the force, bitch! Um, I, I would gladly watch that. <laughs> well, I'll also add to that, you know, if I do knock Felicity Jones, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, uh, from at least what I understood at the time, the other front runner for the role of Jin was Tatiana Maslany, who was on the TV show Orphan Black, who's an incredible Canadian actress. And the idea of her being in a Star Wars movie was so good. I remember even before Rogue One came out and Noah and I were talking about, yeah, yeah, she would be really good in a Star Wars movie. And then suddenly I started hearing, oh, yeah, she's up for a role in Rogue One. She's up for a role in Last Jedi. And just for whatever reason, you know, hasn't been picked up by either of those movies. I, I just think that she would have brought so much more to this uh, but the other actors, you know, we'll get into a little bit throughout, but I got excited about the rest of this cast. I mean, Diego Luna, I knew from um, there was a, a movie he made with Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall called Open Range. That was this Western movie. I think that was like his first big English language movie. Um, he got to start with um, uh, uh, Alfonso Cuaron, who did like Gravity, uh, won the Oscar for Gravity a couple of years ago. And uh it was a Mexican movie he made, which I hated the movie. Uh, but then he did like Open Range and Dirty Dancing too. I have seen, although you know, I'll, I'll say I actually thought better movie than the first. But we're not fans <laughs> of the first Dirty Dancing. Uh, 
I wouldn't say I was a big fan of Diego Luna, but I was familiar with him. But it was all these supporting actors like Forrest Whitaker. I mean, how incredible is it having Forrest Whitaker mm-hmm. in a Star Wars movie? Yep. Uh, and then Donnie Yen was the big one for me. I, I got so excited when I said Donnie Yen was in this because he had never really done you know English language movies. I'm, I'm a huge fan of like Hong Kong action movies. And going back to even the 90s, he made one of the best martial arts movies called, ever called Iron Monkey. Uh, then he had this, this series called Ip Man, which um, you probably heard of but maybe haven't seen. Those are incredible. Um, he did a great action movie called Flashpoint. And I, I think right around the time of this, he also did uh, the third Triple X movie with Vin Diesel. So it was sort of this exciting thing where it's like this incredible Hong Kong action star. You know, one of the, the last holdouts where you had these guys like Jackie Chan and Jet Li and Chow Young Fat who were saying, you know, I'm going to make these American movies. And Donnie Yen, despite being one of the biggest stars, held out for so long. And then at the age of 50, he's like, I'm going to do a Star Wars movie. I'm going to do a Triple X movie. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I think of the human characters, I mean, Donnie Yen, I think, steals the show. I also feel we should mention a little actor called Mads Mikkelsen, who uh, is in also oh. this movie. Uh, may have heard of him. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, we were mads about We're Mickelson. mads about Mickelson. We are mads. Yeah. <laughs> I maybe wasn't so on his character in our villain ranking. Uh, you know what Noah said to me the other day? He said to me, oh, mm. I was sitting around wanting to do another rankings episode, and I thought, oh, we should rank the villains. And then I realized we'd already done it. <laughs> <laughs> so out of touch are you, Noah Groves, in Korea. But uh, is this the first time that Mads Mickelson has ever played a good guy? I mean, I know he's, I mean, he's a good guy. Like he, He's kind of working yeah. for the bad guys, but he's still a good guy. Like Is this the first for him? Um, I mean, the ones I I think the characters he's most famous for probably because obviously he had Casino Royale and he had um, uh, Hannibal. Um, but I'm just trying to look through his filmography here and see if I know of, of any other hero characters, at least in his English language movies. Uh, King Arthur, I couldn't tell you who he was in that. Um, he was King Arthur. Cars? He, oh, he did the voice of Chick Hicks in Cars? What? That's the villain in Cars. Wow. Jeez. Everyone. He's even a villain in Pixar movies. Um, <laughs> that was the Danish Clash of the dub. Titans. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Doctor Strange, you know, another villain. I mean, he's so good at playing a villain. Uh, I think maybe that's my disappointment that I have with him in this movie is it's just it's not as exciting as the, uh, you know, the villain characters he's portrayed. Maybe that's just my expectation of him being always a villain. I'd like to watch this movie he was in called Men and Chicken. That sounds very exciting. Um <laughs> Men and chicken, um, yeah. God, what a man! Like I just—he's a man that I want to just hang out with. Like, sup, Mads? Want to go get a beer? Probably like throw the beer at your head and try and kill you. But whatever. Um, it would be an honor. Is it going to end in you screaming to the right, to the right? <laughs> You'll get the money. Um, so yes. Um, uh, this also we're talking about Felicity Jones. I think when I first heard like Felicity Jones is in Star Wars Rogue One, I'm like, oh, I loved her in Desperate Housewives, and then I'm like, yeah. oh, <laughs> sorry, wrong Felicity. She's the one who like you know scams people to pay for a kid's college. That one, right? Okay, sorry. I liked Felicity Huffman. I still do. <laughs> you you bribe of college officials to pay for your children, Felicity. You do that. You're married to William H Macy. You're allowed to. Uh, <laughs> Why is it William H. Macy in a Star Wars movie? There we go. That's like I want to see that. Make him a stormtrooper. Make him a stormtrooper. Uh, but we let's get into this. So this we talked about this last uh, week about no opening crawl. I mean, this was the first one to have it. Like, did you go into this movie expecting to see it? I did. I think you all. This is like the first time we'd never no. seen it. But having said that, like I said last week, I don't mind that there's no opening crawl. I think kind of save that for the episodes. Like keep these separate. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I just kind of the way it sort of goes into it with a long time ago galaxy far, far away. And then it's just like, boom. And then it's kind of like, there's space. I'm like, oh, that's new Star Wars movie set in space. But I love that, that shot where you kind of, you see like, you don't know if it's like a satellite or what it is. And then you ultimately see it's like rings around a planet. Like that looks really, really cool. Mm. Um, and then we have this, uh, spaceship. Coming to land, uh, what is this, Lamu? Is that the name of the planet? Am I saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we meet uh, Krennic for the first time, lands on this planet. And again, anyone who's watched like everything wrong with or how it should have ended, kind of, you know, this this spaceship lands a, quite a distance away from the actual farm. Because <laughs> it's got to look epic. They've got to walk in a straight line. And this is set about... <laughs> okay, boys, start power walking. <laughs> Is this said about six years after Revenge of the Sith? Around that time? Yeah, I think around that, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the Empire is in full force. But one thing actually I also like about this, we talked about this in Solo, is the evil nature of the Empire. Like, you do get another taste of that here, don't you? Sort of, we, we credited that last week. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of cool how we have that stranglehold. Because, again, it's at the end of the day, it's a dictatorship over the entire galaxy. So, you know... These, there should be sort of this fear going around it. Um, so Krennic is there to uh, see Galen Erso. Mad's about Mickelson. Um, and basically, he's gone into hiding. He used to... Uh, we he worked on the Death Star. Um, before they arrive, we see that uh, he tells his little daughter... Uh, I'm just... If I get confused with Lost, by the way, and call her, like, Jin and Son, like, just, you know, forgive me, <laughs> because I talk about Lost a lot, and we talk about Jin and Son a lot, so, um, could get them confused. Um, Galen tells Jin to run away and never come back. Never come back, Simba. Run away. Uh, <laughs> don't go see the new Star Wars, uh, the new... No, no, go see the Star Wars movie. Don't go see the new <laughs> Lion King movie. <laughs> <laughs> We're wasting two and a half months here, Ben. <laughs> um, tells Jin to hide. Uh, and Krennic is there to take Urso away. Uh, Galen lies and says that his wife is dead and that it's just me now. Uh, I, I do love it when his wife just appears and the way Krennic's like, oh, look at that. There she is, back from the dead. <laughs> um, such a great villain. I love, like, you know, don't flesh him out as much as you could, but I, I still like Krennic. Um, again, I'm Team Empire. If I had to choose, I'm always Team Empire. Um, but ultimately, poor old Galen Erso's wife gets killed. What's her name? La- Lyra? 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 Yeah, I think it was Lyra. Lyra. Yep. She, she's familiar. Who? Who? Who is she? She like she's been in things. <laughs> uh, I, I think she was the wife of Galen uh, once upon a time. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Ne- so couldn't tell you anything more. Never would have guessed. No, I mean the actress who plays her. Oh, oh, that's what you meant. Yes. Okay. Um, see, this is me stalling as I search IMDb here. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Yeah, all right. We'll come, uh, we'll come back to that. All right, so her name is Va- Valine Kane. Oh, she is. She's an actress known for The Fall and Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I haven't seen The Fall. I think you have, though, right? Absolutely. Watch it religiously every Thursday night. Just okay. put it on. <laughs> That's oh. a Gillian Anderson TV oh, show. Oh, well, I would if I knew that was in it. Uh, okay, maybe she's not who I thought she was because I'm looking here at her filmography too and can't quite say that Death and Nightingales and um, Queen of the South have been on my watch list recently. Uh, but who knows? Maybe. I mean, she is a B 
BBC Audio Drama Award winner. So, um, I mean, whew, that's why she got a role well, in Star Wars. BBC, we have BBC uh, Radio Drama Month coming soon to the Oz Network, don't we? Yes, it's been a lot. The fans have been demanding it. Uh, we just <laughs> been, we had to find the time. We had so much other stuff going. Finally, fans, we're listening to you. Don't worry. Um, but poor old esteemed BBC radio winner gets shot and killed and, um, Jin gets, uh, Jin, sorry, Galen. See, I'm already onto it. Jin and son. Um, <laughs> Galen gets taken away. Meanwhile, Jin is hiding in the cave. I like this kind of like little hatch thing. It, it's very lost. There's a hatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there it is. Desmond's is there down there. Somewhere under there. <laughs> pressing the button. Beep. Beep. <laughs> Boone, I'm sure, is somewhere around there. Um, oh, Ian Summerholder for Star Wars. Bring him in. Uh, well, Dominic <laughs> Monaghan's going to be in episode nine, so, you know, like, Charlie's around. Um, so, yeah, Jin, Jin's down this uh, hidden hatch, and uh, before she knows it, it opens up, and we see Sol Guerrero for the very first time, uh, the esteemed Forrest Whitaker, Academy Award winner, Forrest Whitaker. What a man. What a mighty good mm-hmm. man. Like, just... Can we just establish what a girl... I, I want to name my son Forrest. Like, just think of the great Forrest in life. Colin, Forrest Gump and Forrest like, Whitaker. They're great men. Yeah, they're both very similar in many ways, too. <laughs> Often get confused. <laughs> my name is Forrest, Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> um, so, anyway, we later on, we've moved forward in time. So this is now 13 years and... Jin's in jail, and um, she's in jail with a, a alien tentacle man, woman. It could be a woman. I shouldn't suggest that that's a man. Uh, a woman can be an alien, too. Uh, <laughs> they can be anything they want to be, Ben. <laughs> exactly. Except a co-host of the Oz Network, because Jamie and Mallory <laughs> weren't available today. <laughs> um... <laughs> Have Me Too movement on the Oz Network. We're talking about maybe Please the most know. the most diverse Star Wars movie there probably is because like I was watching this and like is um is Craig the only white guy in this film? Like that was yeah, well, uh, uh, yeah, flesh and blood. I mean, we got Tarkin, but that's not even a person. <laughs> and like, uh, and I'm not complaining about that. I think it's great. And like, it's kind of something you don't notice unless you really notice. And I think that's this is. I think our argument has always been on this show that, like, I we don't want it shoved in our face. We just want a good movie with characters that you don't really need to know. Like, I don't care that there's no white guys in this film except for Krennic. It's I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's we've got okay characters, but that's got nothing to do with their race or their gender. I think kind of it's just it's one of these films where you don't need to pay attention to it. So, um, but somehow I paid attention to it just then. Good job, Ben. Um, so anyway, we are we are now on uh Kafrine, Kafrini, Kafrini. This is this is like sure. Guardians of the Galaxy where every 5 seconds you need to name a planet. Except the only planet we don't see is Mustafar. It's just like you should know what yeah. this planet is. Cuz uh, it, it otherwise they would have to put in brackets underneath. It is a volcanic <laughs> planet. <laughs> and you hear oh, oh. uh Grievous <laughs> like in the in the background. Um so we've got like this um city, this dark, grimy city going around, uh, and we meet Cassian for the first time, uh, he makes contact with this guy who, according to Wikipedia, is called Tivik. um, yep, I knew that. You mean Tivik? Yeah, Tivik. <laughs> the esteemed Tivik. did you know who that was? <laughs> Tivik. there he is, <laughs> be waiting for him to finally appear in a Star Wars movie, 
Uh, <laughs> God, about time, Disney. Uh, and he reveals that the Empire are building a planet killer. Uh, I just wanted to say it like Boss Nass, Planet Core. Planet Killer. <laughs> is it Star Killer Base? Is this what it is? Finally? <laughs> um, so, uh, but the mean streets of uh, the planet uh, that they're on, of Kafreen, basically, you can't even have a conversation with the stormtroopers. What's going on here? Show us your documents. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Just pump- G'day, Carl. How you going, Frank? What's going on here? Are you having a conversation? Show me your documents. Um, that's the mean streets of Invercargill in New Zealand, by the way. You can't have a conversation without the cops coming up and pushing you around. Um, Cassian kills the stormtroopers. Then he kills poor old Tivik. We knew him too little. Uh, um, <laughs> and uh, so that's the end of Tivik. Uh, shall we eulogize Tivik while we're here? Let's make it an episode of Lost. Uh, theories on Tivik. <laughs> uh, what does what does Wikipedia say about him? <laughs> Honestly, like there's probably like an 18 page article. Or there are on every single character in Star Wars, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he's been in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Rogue One, a Star Wars story novelization. Uh, Rogue One, a junior novel. That's one I'll read. Uh, Rogue One, adapt- adaptation one. Rogue, Rogue One, adaptation two. Uh, um, so he does actually have a decent size page. But um, species, human, gender, male, hair color, black, skin color, light. <laughs> Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> Glad you exist. Um, so now we've got, um, a, we meet Bodhi for the first time. He's trying to seek out Sol, um, that he's got an important message from Galen, uh, concerning the, uh, the construction of this new weapon. Um, he ends up, uh, getting kidnapped by these, uh, soldiers. And can I just say, I was glad that this version of a Star Wars film actually had subtitles. All the versions I have don't have subtitles for some reason. So, um, I don't know why. So when I was watching A New Hope with Mallory and kind of you've got the Greedo scene and then the Jabba scene, I'm happy to explain. Like, I'm glad I know what they say because I've seen the movies enough. But at the same time, like this one, I'm glad we actually have them there. Um, and Bodhi gets taken back, uh, to the, is it a temple or a, a sort of this hideout mm-hmm. where Sol is and, um, Sol doesn't trust him because I guess he's just defected from the Empire. I feel I always forget that Bodhi's defected from the Empire. Like I realize he says he's a pilot like three thousand times in this movie, but like I, I just kind of feel that gets lost. Like at least with um, uh, Finn in the 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 sequel trilogy, you know this because you see him as a stormtrooper. But is that just me? Like I just I just feel like there should be something more about him that he feels like he's from the Empire. I have yeah. I do have some theories on why that's kind of lost. I'll get into in a bit. I like Bodhi. Who is this guy? Who is he? Who who is the actor who Riz played Ahmed? Him? Ah, yes. Um, he um last year he actually popped up as the villain in the Venom movie. Okay, I have yet to see Venom. Um, don't know if it's... Uh, don't go out of your way. Okay, I thought so. That's kind of the, I thought the um <laughs> just looking at here. Yeah, can't say I've seen anything that he's been in. So um. Yeah. I'll, I'll... He was in Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal and Rene Russo. Ah, oh, goodness. Is that on our list next year? I don't think it is. Oh, City of Tiny Lights. <laughs> I much prefer City of Big Lights. No, bad joke. Um, And, uh, yeah, Sol doesn't believe him. He's going to get I'm talk- not even going to dignify that with a response. 
Common answer. Uh, and he's going to get uh, tortured by... Is it? So I'm reading here, it's Borg Gullet. I, I thought it was Boggly. Like, I, I never understood... <laughs> Boggly? Boggly. <laughs> Um, That's what happens when you get these, like, knockoff subtitles in your Star Wars movies. <laughs> Ball gullet is what this yeah. thing is going to be. So, okay, cool. Um, I might just go here to the prison van. Because uh, this is the thing with this movie. It's kind of just, like, four quarters. It's like a game of NFL. Like, it's just it's one, two, three, four. So we'll reach quarter time in a minute. It's going to be a lot quicker than a, an NFL game. Uh, we wouldn't even reach kickoff right now, let's be honest. Um, Jin's in the back of a, a, a prison van. Uh, and I, I do like kind of how she's... Um, what are the, like, the stormtroopers? When they stop... I, I just love meaningless stormtrooper conversation. Like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a new hope. What's going on? Oh, maybe it's another drill. <laughs> like, I just, like, this is the spin-off I want. I want a Stormtrooper movie of just like these guys having a chat. Catch game on the weekend? Yeah. No, I can't believe Tatooine won. Yeah, I know, right? They came from behind. Oh. Naboo should have won that game. <laughs> you know, I um I mentioned this last time or before The Last Jedi. Uh, there is this, uh, one of the, I guess, one of the original web series. This We're talking like 1996, 1997. Somebody made a web series called Troopers, which was a parody of the TV show Cops mm-hmm. with Stormtroopers. And it was a lot like that. And there is even an episode where they show up at like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru's place. And, you know, they're like, okay, I'm going to need your husband to calm down. I was like, he had a big fight with her nephew and her nephew ran away, please. And Uncle was like, get those troopers out of here. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I need to find that. That sounds great. Uh, I do realize I sort of jumped ahead of scene kind of there with the whole Saga, but whatever, it's all connected. Also, and actually, I really like that shot when they fade away uh, and you see that big Jedi statue in the sand. Is it a Jedi statue? Like, uh, Yeah. It's an awesome shot, that. That looks really, really cool. Um, meanwhile, meaningless stormtrooper conversation is uh, stop when they pull over. And it's just like, what's going on? Man, we're picking up another tr- uh, passenger. That wasn't on the list. <laughs> Frank, what's going on here? Let me call this into base. <laughs> and uh, Can we just get some proper order and organization in the <laughs> Empire? <laughs> the stormtroopers try their best, all right? Like, everyone goes on about them not shooting bad. Like, all they do is what they've got given. They're just not trained that well. Like, maybe we need to put yeah. that on the empire, the Emperor. Like, come on. Uh, you know? Um, they need better benefits. Like, they'd be more committed to their job and aiming properly if you gave them dental. <laughs> all they want is dental, people. All they want. <laughs> Hashtag justice for stormtroopers. Hashtag give them dental. <laughs> give troopers dental. Give troopers dental. All right. I want, I want to see one of those like um, health ad campaigns. The following is a paid message by the Empire. Hi, I'm John, the stormtrooper. We work hard, long hours, but defending the Empire, all we need is dental. People say we're bad shots, but we'd be fixed if we didn't have this constant pain in our teeth. <laughs> How can I be expected to kill rebels when I'm in desperate need of a root canal? They put the blame on us for getting the Death Star's uh, plan stolen. But hey, let's be honest. Those guys who didn't shoot that ship as it flew out, thinking that there were no life forms on board, they could have shot it, didn't they? But why do we get the blame? If only we had dental. We're We're not clones anymore. (laughs) We all have different mouths, different jaws... Different dental emergencies. Stop treating us like clones. Hashtag stop treating us like clones. <laughs> Think back to the capture, well, the attempted capture of Luke Skywalker and the plants when we killed Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. We were applauded for our skills and our markmanship. 
Only Imperial Stormtroopers could be that precise. That's what they said. <laughs> and that's because that day, Larry and Sean had been to the dentist. <laughs> Imagine if we had all gone to the dentist. The Empire would have won. This is Reggie. He hits his head on things when walking in rooms because he has wisdom teeth in bad need of removal. I'm really sore in my mouth because of the wisdom teeth. If I could have... Oh! Oh! (laughs) Reggie. Oh, classic Reggie. (laughs) Painkillers aren't enough. Wisdom teeth removal for Reggie. If you don't fix this soon, our stormtroopers will be defecting and joining the resistance in the future. They'll meet up with people called Poe and Ray. This will happen if you don't fix that dental right now. They might even get gold armor and be completely useless. Who knows? Hurry up and get dental. <laughs> gold teeth over gold armor. <laughs> Troopers <laughs> We hope you're listening to this, the Emperor. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the messages, we want to... <laughs> Starts getting choked. This beep! This transition was cut off. <laughs> Hello, I'm General Leia Organa. Are you tired of having no dental in the Empire? Then join the Resistance! <laughs> we promise dental to all our fighters. <laughs> and if you Skywalker. act now... <laughs> I was going to go and get some power converters! Shut up, Luke. Tell us about your dental. <laughs> if you act now, we will throw in this free set of power converters. <laughs> you won't have to go to Toshi Sen- Station with our dental plans. <laughs> dental plan! <laughs> Troopers need braces! Dental plan! Troopers need braces! Dental, dental, dental plan is what you get at the Empire. No, it's not. It's over at the Rebels. Join us now. <laughs> And finally, a word from our main sponsor, Jar Jar Binks. Misa got dental! <laughs> this abscess tooth was a killing me! <laughs> but then I said join the rebellion where they have free dental! <laughs> People thought I was annoying, but I had tooth pain! Now, I'm respected senator! <laughs> So, uh, How can you be expected to fight for the galaxy with such bad plaque? Uh, Don't forget to floss like Jossa Pinks! (laughs) Oh, God. This episode won't take long. There's not many funny things to talk about. (laughs) We just went 25 minutes on Troopers Need Dental. (laughs) Again, these episodes would be done in an hour if we just shut up and stuck to reading what's on our... Notes and what's actually happening in the movie. Um, Jin gets rescued. We meet K2 for the first time. Uh, what's his line? He's like, you are being rescued. Like, um, yes. great line. Congratulations. You are being... K2 is the best in this movie. Like, yes. Just, just absolutely the best. Um, so much better than Stupid Head last week. And uh, so much better than BB-8. Because, you know, come on. What BB-8? Um <laughs> The Romania of Star Wars is BB-8. Like, he's there. <laughs> but, like, are we meant to really care about it? Um, and is this when we get our first Rebel meeting, too, and we get our first appearance of Jimmy Smits and uh, Mon Mothma? Yeah. Is when they show up. Yeah. Um, so, General Dodoni. Yeah. Oh, so good. And so this was the original actress who was uh, Mon Mothma in the prequels, right, but never used. Yeah, in the deleted scenes. So that's good. But I do love the slow reveal of Jimmy Smits. Like, it's kind of... Mm-hmm. 
like this is this is one thing again that I'll give credit to this movie. It's kind of you know we talked about the Force Awakens that they they seemingly ignored the prequels, but this one you kind of can't. But I just love that slow reveal, and it's kind of like everyone. I, I guess the reveal is like, oh, it's you know, it's it's Senator Organa, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, hey, it's prequels, it's Jimmy Smith. Yeah, <laughs> um, that to me is the most exciting bit of it all. Um. So they're basically telling uh, Jin why they've taken her back, and you know, you know, if people found out who you were, you know, you would be in trouble. But we need you to uh, find Saul Guerrero um, because you know we need you to get him because we believe he's got some uh, something important to to talk about. Because uh, Forrest Whitaker is a very important man, basically. Um, and we will offer him dental in exchange yeah. for his services. <laughs> I don't need dental. I've got a bad <laughs> voice. I'll tell you one thing. The Star Wars universe needs something about their respiratory issues. Like, Jesus Christ, this is a matter yeah. of... Like, there's something going on out there in space. <laughs> um, so, uh, and Jin's going to go off. She meets uh, Cassian for the first time with K2 as well. And they're going to go to Jeddah. Uh, to go get these ones, basically. So I might sort of cap it there. We're at quarter time. Um, so, you know, set up, really. Again, this is this is my thing with this movie, is that, like, there's nothing wrong with what we're seeing. It's just standard, basic stuff. It's there. Um, like, mm-hmm. I just don't think this movie really takes off as, like, holy crap, this is amazing until that final half hour. And this is, this is why I always say I think this movie is overrated, Still saying that I think this is a good movie. It's it's a decent movie for what it does. And spoiler alert, I'm ultimately going to buy this movie. But it's just, I just don't get the hype that people give this movie as this is greater than Empire. Like, that last half hour is great. But, like, this stuff here, it's just kind of, it's just plodding along. It's, you know, it's there. Like, it's nothing, like, groundbreaking. I'm more excited in Solo to this point than I am in Rogue One. Um, I kind of wish that whatever issues they had that they discovered in post-production they had discovered before shooting. Because, I mean, the the interview that Tony Gilroy had recently where he talked about his rewrites and the reshoots, um, he was pretty honest about the fact that he said, you know, the, the movie was a complete mess, but it was actually a very simple fix. And he said that it was it was mostly just Jin and Cassian. They had to completely retool their characters, their story, uh, and I think the other thing that's he didn't mention this that this become obvious was the Saw Guerrero because there are shots of him um, in the trailer where he's bald. Now, obviously, in the flashback scenes, he's bald, but he has hair. But the the trailer shots are clearly from the same scene where he's meeting Jin later on, which would just lead you to believe that they probably reshot a lot of the Saw stuff. And I think that's where the first act of this movie um, it has so many really interesting ideas that just. They didn't quite crack it, and I think that's a result of they needed to reshoot everything because I feel like Saw was probably a bigger part of this movie. In fact, before the movie even came out, that was one of the big stories. They said, yeah, the the Saw character took a hit in the reshoots because that was one of the things that they had to retool in the movie. I don't think he was supposed to live any longer, but I think maybe his character was supposed to – maybe it was a longer section before he died, like the Jetta stuff possibly was like at the halfway point or the two-thirds point of the movie – um, but I feel that here when I'm watching all the early stuff, uh, particularly just with the idea of him being this extremist, uh, and, and they do a really good job of showing that. Like, I like the idea of this rebel that's so far gone that even the rebels don't trust him. Um, and it, it kind of makes you wonder why they're like, we need Saul Guerrero <laughs> later on. Uh, but 
the, the fact that he goes to these great lengths like the 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 Borgullet or what do you call him? Uh, Borgully. Borgully. Yeah. Borgully. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's supposed to be like a mind reading thing. And uh, it's essentially Star Wars waterboarding is what he's doing. He's like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm torturing this guy to get what I want out of him. Uh, but that's true. I mean, it reminded me a lot of Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, like this was Star Wars waterboarding, but they set certain things up with that that I feel like maybe with a mixture of scenes from the original cut and then the reshoot get lost because he basically says this will cause you to lose your mind. And there's the one scene l- later on we'll get to where, um, you know, they show some effects of that, but it doesn't carry through. I, I think this whole thing with Bodhi meeting Saw could have been executed better because the ideas are like flawless there. You know, that the Galen is so far removed from the, the, whatever started as the Rebel Alliance 15 years earlier that he thinks the guy we got to go to is Saw Gerrera. And everybody else is like, you're going to Bin Laden? Like, that's basically <laughs> what Saw Gerrera is here. He helped um, recruit James Bond. That was in yeah, the 80s. It's, it's Times really, have changed. <laughs> it is a really cool idea, though, that here's this guy where he thinks his ally is somebody that actually even the Rebels don't trust. And something just gets really mixed up with that. So I think that's why you say it's a little bit plotting here. And I do agree. It just It's like 90% there and there's just 10% of something missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back to the beginning, the whole premise of you know Galen hiding out and they start the movie here. I mean this is why having somebody like Gareth Edwards as such a huge Star Wars fan, somebody who would analyze even how the way the stories are told gets it because he ever said, we're going to tell the story about how they got the plans. But it made people wonder, well, what was this first battle they won? What were the secret plans? And even this movie starts that way. I mean, we have him going to get Galen. You're thinking, about like, well, what, what's all the stuff that led to this? You know, how does he have this associate who's, you know, essentially this gorilla in the, the middle of the, uh, the galaxy? Um, and, you know, what is this work they're doing? You know, obviously, we know from the trailers it's the Death Star. There's so much stuff that's left unsaid that I actually like just jumping right into that and being a little confused, if that makes any sense. Um, and also the other thing that I think they really nailed with this movie was it's probably the only Disney Star Wars movie that really got the idea of, uh, the force, the spiritual aspect of the force. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other Disney movies treat it like, I mean, they, they make jokes about it. Like with Ray saying, you know, it's a, a, a mystical thing that helps Jedi move things like, and that's the way they perceive it. Obviously the reason for that is that you're 60 years removed from the Jedi as opposed to, you know, 20 or 30, and you'd forget even more. Like, the, the, the public just would have no clue what happened 60 years earlier, especially if the Empire um, had suppressed all this information. But I like that there's, like, people know that the Jedi existed. They still know the Force, but we don't have to see this just Jedi. You know, that's the one thing. If the prequels missed anything, it was the idea that only the Jedi believe in the Force, Whereas in A New Hope, it always kind of bothered me when you had these other characters like saying, and may the force be with you. Like, I think General Dodonna says that or something like or General, one of the guys in New Hope says, may the force be with you. And I, I, I used to think like, well, these characters know nothing about the force. Why are they saying that? But this movie bridges that gap and it almost fixes that. I wouldn't call it plot hole, but thing that I found annoying because even Gala in the beginning here is telling her trust the force. And yet what's best about it is every time the force is mentioned by all the characters in this movie, it's not it, – the, the honest trailer kind of made a joke about that. That's not how the force works. But that's what I like about the movie is that these people have a knowledge of the force. There is something that can control, you know, everybody's fate. Something that 
you know, could be a, this higher power that saves us, but they don't quite understand it the way the Jedi did. But at least they address it. So I'll go as far as to say that Rogue One's the first movie since Return of the Jedi that really got you know the, the full aspect of the Force. Um, <laughs> I can't be the only one when he's putting that little necklace around Baby Jin there. This thinking like, is that a Chapur snippet? <laughs> like, how great would that be? <laughs> Tear, take this Chapur snippet. It'll keep you safe. <laughs> Uh, and I'm totally with you on Krennic. Uh, I think that was the, the one thing that I was um, surprised about after we all saw Rogue One. I don't remember hearing your opinions up. I remember Noah specifically saying that he was disappointed with Krennic. And I was like, oh, are you kidding? Like, he's fantastic. And I, granted, I'm like a huge Ben Mendelsohn fan. He did um, a TV show called Bloodline that the first season was like one of the greatest seasons any TV show's ever had. The second and third seasons were pretty good. Uh, but uh, I think I've been talking about the show is Kyle Chandler uh, was mm-hmm. in that, who's on Friday Night Lights and in the new Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he played in the first season kind of the, the the troubled brother who returns home, like the older brother who's the screw-up who returns home and just ruins everybody's lives. So like Mads Mikkelsen, I had this exposure to him as being just this terrible person, but he plays it so differently here. Like I- I'd actually say Ben Mendelsohn is more versatile as a villain than Mads Mikkelsen is because there's something about even Hannibal Lecter that feels a little bit Le Chief, you know? And he bleeds ben, ben Mendelsohn... He, he, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> Everybody bleeds from their eye after playing with Hannibal Lecter never bled before from his eye. Why is he doing that? <laughs> Hannibal Lecter doesn't this would bleed. Ben, ben, he makes people yeah, if bleed. If Ben Mendelsohn was playing Hannibal Lecter, this wouldn't be happening. <laughs> and that's no knocking against Mads Mikkelsen. I like him, but it's just there's something missing about... Maybe it is just seeing him as a hero here that I, I don't quite get it or his part feels very cut down. But Ben Mendelsohn, the way that he has like this this humor without actually being funny, like where he says, you know, oh, you know, not since Lara died. And he's like, oh, oh, my condolences. And then later on, like you said, she's back from the dead. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's just this this cockiness with his taunting, this arrogance is so funny. Uh, and even the conversation they have, like there's really smart uh like political conversations like we credit solo was showing the oppression of the empire and i like that here in this movie which is you know what 10 years later maybe we're not seeing so much the oppression we're just seeing that everybody's already been oppressed and they're just compliant with the empire like it's just it's all about control and they have that brief conversation where he's saying you know you're you're confusing peace with terror and <laughs> ben Mendelssohn again has this brilliant delivery as well you have to start somewhere which mm. <laughs> is just He's such. He's like a Bond villain in this movie. He is, yeah. Um, well, so is Darth Vader. But we'll get to that. No, no. Actually, yeah, Darth Vader's yeah. more like Bond. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I know what you're getting at there. Um, funny thing about Ben Mendelsohn here. Uh, Jamie's kind of got a thing for him, which is really weird because I think he's like he's maybe fifty or something. He he looks much older than he is. But I remember watching Bloodline, and then even here, and Jamie's like, oh, yeah, I really like this guy in that TV show. Plus, he's hot. And I'm like, really? Ben Mendelsohn? Like, of all the guys in this movie? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, but he's so old. And she's like, you'll be old one day, and you'll still be hot. And I'm like, true. I get it. I understand. <laughs> Correct answer, though, Jamie. Good. That, that's good wifing right there. That's that's um, that's that's why, you know, you stay together, because you, you drop a correct answer like that. Like, the other day on the radio, I was talking to Mallory, saying, like, what will you do if Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman actually show up to our wedding? I said, like, where you'll walk down, and instead of, like, crying and being happy and looking at me, you'll be doing the same at Ryan Reynolds, and you won't even care that I'm there. And she correctly wifed. She said, yeah, no, no, that's incorrect. I will be there for you, Ben. Like, I'm like, good job, but I don't believe you. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and then let's be honest here again. I mean, Jamie, right answer for a wife. But yeah. <laughs> uh, if Hugh Jackman shows up at your wedding, you know, Jamie's walking out with him, not me. <laughs> so. That's the thing. Like you, like, you can imagine that situation because, like, she, she walks around the corner. She's so happy that she's getting married. And all of a sudden, she sees Hugh Jackman. That's kind of her yeah. dream that on her wedding day, she'd be walking down the aisle and Hugh Jackman would be there waiting for her. Like, quite a different scenario. But, like, you know, like, if Natalie Portman started walking down the aisle and was walking Mallory down the aisle, I'm like, oh, my God! I'm so happy to be I getting married to Mallory! Out- <laughs> I'm walking out of that wedding. I'm dropping out of the wedding party, and I'm going home. I don't want to be there if it's Natalie Portman. <laughs> I think you're, you're, well, okay, that's that one. But you're going to be like, if, if they do show up to a wedding, you're also going to be there standing there going, bird, bird, look, it's Hugh Jackman and Roy. I'm like, shut up, Colin, I'm getting married! <laughs> You like, I don't care then. Uh, so tell me, Hugh, that one scene in Logan, like, what happened? <laughs> and Hugh Jackman's gonna be officiating the wedding too, and he's like, "Do you Ben?" And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. Call him Bub, please, please call him Bub." <laughs> he's like, shut up, Colin. This isn't the time or the place. Uh, I did want to ask about Ben Mendelsohn though, because I mean, he's. I, I knew around the time Bloodline came out, he was Australian, but w- was he? Known in Australia before he kind of made it big with Bloodline in America? I think he's kind of like, um, oh, who's the one that I always try to think about that, like, people don't realize he's Australian, but he is Australian. Will like, Edgerton? No. Um, yeah. We he, said that about Will Edgerton. Yeah, we? yeah. He's kind of one of these ones that's, like, not, you know, that renowned at all. Like, he's not in the Hugh Jackman sentence. He's not in the Chris Hemsworth sentence. Um, but like, I think people still know that he is. I mean, if you look at his, uh, CV, I mean, you know, he's done the Australian, you know, the rounds. He's been in Neighbours. He's been in, you know, the well, Halifax I mean, FP Animal and, Kingdom. Yeah. Animal Kingdom was like a huge, I, I don't know how big it was in Australia, but I know here that was like the big Australian, uh, export was Animal Kingdom. That was such a big deal when it came out. Now they actually have, you know, a TV show adaptation of, but he was in that with like, all those other big Australian actors too. Well, The Secret Life of Us is that one that I was telling about that Claudia Carvan was best known for. Um, so, mm. like, yeah. And, like, also looking here, like, Good Guys, Bad Guys was pretty standard. Police Rescue. Yeah, like, all the standard 90s, early 2000s Australian TV shows. So, I think he's kind of like one of those ones, like, um, you know, like, yeah, I don't even know how you... But, like, he is known as an Australian, but I kind of mm-hmm. just... I think he's maybe because also he's a little bit older. Like you know, a lot of the time it's like, oh my god, Hugh Jackman, Chris Hemsworth—they're so hot and so young and so great—and you know, yay. Where <laughs> and yeah, the- I think I think that's the crazy thing is that Ben Mendelsohn and Hugh Jackman I think are like the same age. Yeah, <laughs> but man, there's a difference in looking at them. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, like I, I, I proud another great Australian actor. You know, once again being mm-hmm. evil—it's great and perfect with his accents because he's doing like a British accent here that's flawless. And in the TV show Bloodline, he's got kind of like a southern accent, which, again, like, I had no idea was Australian until after I'd finished that entire series. Uh, But such a good actor and one of my favorite characters in this movie because he's just – he's your perfect, like, traditional – he's a Tarkin. And that's why it's so good to see him in the scene with Tarkin because it's one of those things that Gareth Edwards brought to this movie that made it feel more like A New Hope because we don't get that in a lot of the other Star Wars movies. Like, the the old Empire guys, like, you know – Captain Piet or Admiral Piet that we're going to get an empire and all the, all those imperial guys like he just feels like that but just a little bit of a step further and I, I also like the fact that he's not so much an officer he's like a director this is like bureaucrat you know empire bond villain 
Um, but uh, anyways, a uh, couple other things here. Um, the the little base she hit out in, like I, I like that too. They have this, you know, the, this rock uh, hole in the ground. And that's the other thing I think it gets lost is the whole idea that she was brought up by Saw because he comes and finds her. Obviously, Saw's been kind of hiding Galen and his family. Um, and then we just sort of flash forward and they talk a little bit about it. But like that doesn't really it's mentioned, but it doesn't become a big enough part of her story that she was raised by this extremist. And I think that's what would have made her character work even better as if there was a lack of trust for her. Because like, do you know who raised her? But that's such an interesting idea. Uh, also, the Saw Greer character, uh, this was one of the other things I got excited about before it came out because I kind of knew Jimmy Smith would appear in it and that Mon Mothma would be in it. So there were those episode three, um, episode two and three um, you know, throwbacks there. But the fact that Saw, one of the main characters in this movie, came from the Clone Wars animated show was great too. Uh, and he did, I, I remember the episodes he had, it was kind of about like the Jedi training these forces, which is also funny. Like we watched like the, the James Bond movies and we joke like the living daylights, you know, James Bond trains the Taliban. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of what the idea, I guess now that you see what happens to Saw later on, George Lucas was actually going with, with the Clone Wars series. Cause he was actually very involved in developing the Saw. He wanted the Saw character, even after appearing in the Clone Wars to be a character that would appear in more. In fact, the Star Wars Underworld TV show, the live action TV show that um, uh, he we talked about that he was developing before he sold Lucasfilm, uh, it, Saul was going to be one of the main characters in that. So he wanted this animated character that he had helped create to cross over into the live action TV show. And they sort of kept up with that and said, well, that's a cool idea. Let's follow up with that and include this character in the movie, even though it's it wasn't like George Lucas' idea to do this movie the idea of this character to cross over from the, the prequel animated series into these movies. And yet it fits with these two. And I just, I really wish they'd gone a little bit further with the character uh, and getting Forrest Whitaker for it is amazing too. I mean, he's one of these guys that, you know, everybody knows him, but people forget that he won the Academy award for best actor. Mm -hmm. it, it's so strange that it seems like anytime somebody wins an Oscar, especially for the major awards, like they're always known as that. And it's not like, people ever say Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker. If they do, they're like, oh, what movie did he win it for? But like that performance he had in Last King of Scotland, if you never saw it, was incredible. Uh, and he's kind of doing a Last King of Scotland like dictator thing here, but I guess more extremist. But um, also I love her Stormtrooper doll. Yes. You know, this is like one year after <laughs> one year after The Force Awakens where Rose has, or not Rose, um, Rose. Uh, Ray, where Ray has the the X wing pilot doll and stuff, and now we see like Star Wars action figures are a thing, even the Star Wars universe. Like that's <laughs> how shameless Disney is. Like I I can't wait to see BB eight playing with a remote control BB eight action figure, or uh, <laughs> uh, maybe Finn and Poe are in the middle of Star Wars Monopoly in Episode Nine because uh, their merchandise is all over their own movies here. Um. For the introduction to um, Cassian with uh, Tivik, the famous Tivik, oh. <laughs> uh, I, I I love that scene because this is another example of where you can tell the reshoots, even though the reshoots were to fix Jin and um, Cassian's characters, they lost something because it, it feels like you have a little bit of something that doesn't go far enough. The fact that he, you know, has this sort of spy uh, associate of his, and he kills his own friend in battle, like he's doing it as a mercy killing, but he still does it. I'm like that's incredible. And and so when he has those lines later on in the movie talking about, you know, 
uh, you know, I've killed a lot of people or all of us have done things in the name of the rebellion that we regret. Like, this is what the rebellion was. And I think that's where the movie really does a good job of showing the rebellion that the alliance is just forming. Like, the scene we're going to get to with Jimmy Smith and Mon Mothma, they sort of allude towards the fact that, like, you know, this alliance is brand new. And that's one of those things that when I saw this movie, I never quite put together because the rebellion and the rebel alliance are sort of like interchangeable terms in the original trilogy. But they're called a rebel alliance, and yet what's the alliance here? And this movie's showing that for 20 years, the rebellion hasn't been an organization. It's been a bunch of little factions all rebelling. And here, Jimmy Smith's, you know, Mon Mothma, uh, General Dodonna, they're all sort of calling everybody together and saying, listen, let's join forces. So all of these characters are seeing, like, uh, why do I, I always struggle with his name? Cassian, like Cassian. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're completely different types of people. Like some of them are a little bit too unethical. You know, Saw is one example. Cassian's another. There's really no organization to the Rebel Alliance. They're just sort of forming here. Uh, do you remember the first cast photo that came out for Rogue One? Yes. I think I don't know if it was an actual yes. photo, but it was like a painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like I think it was like a picture. Showing all of the main characters, everybody's like, oh, such a diverse cast and everything. But everybody saw the picture of Diego Luna's character and assumed it was Biggs. Because they really make him look identical mm. to Biggs from episode four here. And I thought the same thing. Um, I like that, that was, it, But that's something I think we missed because Biggs, through a couple scenes being edited, he was supposed to be a very big character in A New Hope. And it was more a pacing thing than anything else. It wasn't there was anything wrong with those scenes. I can't wait to talk about next week, the deleted scenes from A New Hope. Uh, The idea of even Biggs being a bigger character would have been great. Although I don't mind that they kind of made an original character here. But if they had made Diego Luna playing Biggs, I think that would have been even more. Keep it as the same character. And then when you see him in A New Hope, you would look at that differently too. Because, you know, he's Luke's friend and Luke would have no idea that he's killing his own allies, mercy killings and stuff like that. I, I really, the more I think about it, I really do think that this would have worked better as a Biggs character, and he could have pulled it off. I mean, he looks just like him here too. Mm. Uh, but the the look overall, just with having him with the seventies hair and the seventies mustache, I mean, everything in this movie perfectly fits with a New Hope visually. Um, the they mentioned like the Kyber crystals too. Um, that this is what they're building the Death Star weapon of. Uh, I don't know if we got into that much, but like. The kyber crystals are what power the Jedi's lightsabers. Mm-hmm. So that's cool that they tied that in here in this movie and said the same technology that makes a Jedi's lightsaber is what we use for this weapon. Uh, they've just been mining this planet. There's one of the one of the problems I have is that I like that they put the planet's names on the screen because we can barely name any planet other than Jakku in <laughs> the sequel trilogy. But like here, at least we get them on screen. But there are so many planets in the beginning that it's impossible to keep track of them. And one of them's called Wobani. Which every time I see that, I'm just like, that is so lame. Like, they clearly were just taking Obi-Wan and rearranging the letters. <laughs> and, and it's so distracting to me when I see it. Like, Wobani. And like, ugh. It's like the opposite of when you see Club Obi-Wan in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. <laughs> like, this little in reference. It's a little too obvious for me. Um, also, that fallen Jedi statue you mentioned where they're on Jedi. Um, that was part of the reshoots, apparently. Really? I went back and watched the trailer to see like how much was different after watching the movie now. 
And there's a shot of a Jedi statue fallen on the ground, the same, except in a completely different position. So obviously <laughs> not reshoot isn't like, let's go back and let's rebuild this statue with a slightly different pose. But it makes you wonder, like, it's one shot in the movie. Why is that change so... It's not even like they flipped it. So instead of lying on the, the right-hand side of the screen, it's lying on the left-hand side. They changed everything about it. I'm like, was it that necessary? They needed to spend a million dollars to change the Jedi statue lying on the ground? Um, but it's cool to see, like, those statues uh, there. Um, also, one other um, actor here in the... Uh, the the I guess roundtable scene with uh, Jimmy Smith and everybody, uh, the guy who plays I guess the main pilot, uh, I don't remember what his character's name is here, uh, but the actor Ben Daniels. Have you ever seen him in anything? Uh, maybe. Uh, um, am I meant to? <laughs> uh, well, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, okay. I, I, I know. I know him. <laughs> I just wasn't sure if you know you would have the familiarity with him. But um, I know him because there's a TV show. I'm not like a huge fan of the Law and Order franchise, but uh, maybe about ten years ago they did a British version of Law and Order called Law and Order UK, which originally started as they were just remaking episodes uh, of the American Law and Order show, kind of reshot with um, you know a, a British twist to it. And he was like the lead prosecutor on the show, but he later did like um, the. Uh, TV show The Exorcist. He was like the star of The Exorcist TV show. Uh, but he was also on House of Cards. I forgot about that. He played, um, I think it was in season one, he was like Claire's former boyfriend that she stayed with. Was that season one or season two? Vaguely remember the that. Or yeah. Or something. Oh, oh, that she was with for quite some time. Yeah. Is that him? Yeah. It was half season. Yeah, Ben Daniels. Ah. He's an amazing actor. Um, and... I, I don't know how big of a deal it is. Like, I watched every episode of Law & Order UK. I don't know if that was even that big in England. Aww. But for me, I saw this and I thought, that, that's a great cameo. It's like when you see uh, Greg Grimberg pop up in <laughs> Force Awakens. That's the way I was viewing it. But that, maybe that's just me. Uh, and the guy you know, plays you're like, oh. um, Miles in uh, Lost is also in uh, Force Awakens as well. Yeah, okay. I, I know who you're talking about now in House of Cards. I, I didn't recognize him, though. So, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, I don't know how much further did we go here. Um, we're just about oh, yeah, to I guess land the on Jeddah. Okay, so the the rescue of Jin. Um, yeah, I I love K two. Like his introduction is perfect, and I don't think I knew anything about the the K two character. They just sort of said he would be a kind of slightly sarcastic droid, and I wasn't sure what to expect. And then I remember the the clip of the rescue was the first actual scene I saw when people started doing talk shows and everything. And um, the, the way that he sort of clotheslines her and says, congratulations, you're being rescued. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's such a great idea for a character to bring humor to it without it being so annoying and over the top like the droid last week. Like, I don't know why, it's a thing about overseeing these movies. You think Kathleen Kennedy would be like, oh, you know, K2 is a great villain. Let's just make him you know a complete cartoon character next time it's just they went so far in the other direction with solo but they were kind of doing the same thing let's make a droid a little bit more human but k2 really is the best thing about this movie and the way that they um uh, describe him i think in honest trailers is the best for like you know uh the star wars movie with a diverse ensemble cast where the only interesting character <laughs> is the non-human droid <laughs> like i wouldn't go as far as say none of the other characters are interesting but like k2 steals every scene he's in and part of it is the look of the character like, i like the way his eyes 
they just sort of shift back and forth, but it's just enough movement that it gives you a little bit more personality than you would get out of just a static droid. But Alan Tudyk too, I mean, he's you know a really well-known actor, but he's also done a lot of motion capture and stuff like that too. Like he played the the robot in iRobot. You know, it, before that, I mean, he was in the TV show Firefly, like the Joss Whedon show Firefly, and was like the the comic relief on that. Like Alan Tudyk's amazing too. Like they got such a good cast for this movie. Uh, and there you go. There's another white guy, but they just <laughs> have him voicing a droid character. A black so, droid. Uh, <laughs> black droid, yeah. <laughs> uh, along the lines of, like, the diverse cast, this is, I'm not going to say an annoyance, but, you know, people always talk about, like, whitewashing in movies. It can't really be a confirmed thing, but if you watch the making ofs on the Rogue One DVD and they show the concept art that started before they even had a script because they had the characters of Jin and Cassie and they wanted these two lead characters very early on. The concept art for Jim, Jin looks very Asian. And there's even like concept art of her and Galen and Galen looks Asian. So like there was clearly a point when they made the decision, hey, we've got this diverse cast, but the lead character, she's got to be a white girl. <laughs> and, and I really wonder like, ugh, why why don't they get more criticism for that? Because like there's all this whitewashing that goes on and sure they're they're creating this diverse cast and everything, but your lead character didn't have to be white. I understand why Ben Mendelsohn needed to be white because the Empire was envisioned that way, that it was like the Nazis. It was this club of all, you know, uh, white British guys. It was supposed to be like an empire. And in this movie, you're showing that, like, well, the Rebel Alliance is a little bit of everything. Like, Galen didn't have to be white because he was just a scientist they hired. Like, I I think it would have been entirely possible to make that character Asian still. Uh, Not that it necessarily would have changed the way the character was written, but it's it's a clear example of whitewashing when you see the concept art and you realize uh, that looks a little too Asian. At what point did they decide we need a white girl for this? And her name's Jin. Like that's Jin. There you go. <laughs> you know, kind of that. Um, two things quickly I just said before I move on is I agree with you with the whole. It feels very underdeveloped. Saul and Jin. Like it just mm-hmm. you see it and then all of a sudden she's in front of him going, "Ow! Last time I saw you, you did this." <laughs> um. Yeah, you just you just don't care about it enough. So it's kind of it's yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of it's odd. Um and the one thing too I'll say which um also baffles me is we talked a little bit about in the Phantom Menace and the prequels about how many chlorines kind of always get a bum rap because oh we don't need to know mm-hmm. what the force is that. Why do kyber crystals never get that backlash? Like to me a lightsaber is something where it's kind of like, Oh, that shouldn't be you need to be explained. It's a lightsaber, who cares? Like you know, well, it's, it's not to the extent as the Metichlorians, I understand that, but like Kyber Crystals to me is just kind of, I, it doesn't bother me personally. Like, again, I like yeah. the Metichlorians and I think it's cool. I like that there's an explanation for it. I just don't understand why there isn't fan backlash over Kyber Crystals like there is with Metichlorians. The, I mean, the the biggest reason, at least logically I can think of, is that the original idea for Kyber Crystal comes from um, the, the script for A New Hope, like all the way up until the, when they were filming it wasn't just about stealing plans for the Death Star. The plot of A New Hope, even at the point where the, the actors were like, yeah, this was literally cut from the script when we started filming, was that there was going to be a kyber crystal, this one crystal that kind of would sway the balance between the dark side and the light side, and that because the Emperor and Vader had had the kyber crystal for all these years, that's why the Jedi couldn't really rise again. So when they're on the Death Star, it was sort of like, Obi-Wan, I'm going to steal the kyber crystal back. 
so that was always supposed to be a part of that. And it was actually written in the first ever Star Wars novel- novelization. The Kyber Crystal was written again. I think the the idea of the Kyber Crystal having like this higher power, um, if if fans do have knowledge of that, then they're probably like, well, I'm I'm a little bit more okay with it simply being this special crystal that could only be mined in one place. You know that 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 powers the Jedi's lightsabers because it could have been a lot more over the top. See, if I read more, I would know that. But, <laughs> um, you know, I don't. Uh, so I'm probably going to lump a large section of this movie together now to lead us into the last bit of it because you know, again, it's kind mm-hmm. of set pieces. But I think I can lump a whole lot in here. So we get this uh, our first kind of scene of the Empire here, and, and my favorite stuff in this movie is all the Empire stuff. Like I, I love kind of this reveal of a TIE fighter flying in front of, like, a Star Destroyer with the shadows. Like, you know, it's just, yeah. it looks so cool. And, again, completely agree with you. Like, they do such a good uh, job in this movie of giving it a real sort of 70s vibe. Um, and Mallory, like, one of the things she said is, like, why do they all have such awful haircuts? And I'm like, I said, like, well, it's deliberate. Like, they've got to make it look so that this is basically set right before A New Hope starts. Um, and when you do watch them back to back, it completely makes sense. So we have this um, shot of Krennic walking on to this Star Destroyer and we meet our um, beloved computer-generated Moff Tarkin for the first time. Now, I didn't tell Mallory, but she straight away was like, oh, he looks like a video game character. Um, (laughs) I I feel this is going to be one of those things that, like, you know, in 20, 30 years' time, this is going to be perfected and they're going to do this a lot more and it's going to look really good. But, like, it's kind of like Star Wars for the first time in the 70s. Like, I'm sure when you walked into that movie in 1977 and saw these things, like, you were blown away about how incredible this looked. And, of course, certain things are going to age. Now, I, for one, when I first saw this, was kind of like, like, I can see what they've done. And, like, yeah, like, but, like... It's kind of one of these things, like, if you squint, uh, it looks great. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, like, it doesn't look awful all the time. Like, But there are definitely some jarring moments with him where it kind of does look a little bit off-putting. But I have to commend them for doing this because, you know, we talked about in Revenge of the Sith that the guy they got to play looked absolutely nothing like him. <laughs> so, like, mm-hmm. I kind of like this view on how they did it because... I guess they could have easily just not had him in the movie and then you would have been asking questions and, you know, well, why isn't he in there when this is set just before A New Hope? And I remember as soon as I saw this, because I don't think I was aware that this was a thing, like, um, you know, going into it, I kind of always assumed, like, oh, my God, does this mean we're going to get, like, Leia? Like, you know, young Leia? And kind of that's what I got really excited about at the end the first time I saw it when we had that moment. So, I don't know, just quickly, like, what was your, as soon as you saw this the first time, like, what, what did you think of it? I knew I knew that Tarkin was going to be a part of the movie, but I think, like most people who even did know that, you assumed it would be like a cameo. And I think the, the effect aside, um, having him in the movie is so important because if you were missing Tarkin, I think those three characters that reappear, uh, Leia, Vader, and Tarkin, if you're missing even one of them, this doesn't play as well back-to-back with A New Hope. Uh, and at the same time, if... Vader or especially Tarkin weren't at least a major part of this movie it sort of just plays like well this is the side story like I think you really need it to tie in like this is a companion piece or it's like one big movie so Tarkin was necessary for this movie and I think he was necessary in multiple scenes uh they could have gotten away with just a cameo and kind of filmed it from you know the side or in shadows and it would have looked better but I would rather him be a major part of this movie and have it really make sense and be able to see the Tarkin character and put him in a totally new context with some bad effects than to 
just simply have a cameo and have it not play as well when you watch it back to back with a new hope uh when i did see it it was in 3d and i think a lot of um what are viewed as bad effects do look better in 3d uh partly just because it's slightly shadowed it's darkened uh and it gives you a little bit of that squint effect but when you do see it like on a blu-ray or just on regular tv and not 3d it's going to look very video game. And there are moments here where it's like, oh, that doesn't look good. The funniest thing about this, though, is that when uh, Jamie was watching this with me, I was explaining, like, yeah, it's really cool they got this back. You know, they, they got him back. And Jamie was like, oh, I didn't realize it was a video game character. She wasn't really watching closely. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, did you think that the same guy who's been dead for decades, you know, somehow hasn't aged and or they reanimate his corpse or something? And she was like, no, I just meant like, like it, it doesn't look like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> I think if you're not watching that closely, that's true. It, 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 if you watch really closely, it obviously looks bad. But a couple arguments can be made, and I was sort of saying they're like a lot of people are upset about this. But my argument is when you watch episodes four, five, and six, there are really bad effects in that too. Mm-hmm. Like the original trilogy has bad effects. You just accept it because that's what you always saw. And because this isn't the Tarkin you originally saw, people are like, oh, that looks lame. But like 20, 30 years from now, like you said, this will be perfected. Jamie got like mad when I was telling her that people were upset by this bad effect. She's like, the man died. What do they expect? <laughs> I think it took on this totally different context. Like she was getting really heated. Like, well, no, I'm, I'm, it's not that. It's not about the fact that like they, they expected they should bring him back from the dead. It's just they thought, well, maybe, you know make the effects like a little bit better it's like geez a man dies it's like this should just be happy that they have him back like the man's dead people <laughs> she just went on and on like really upset it was just it was the highlight of watching the movie with her it, i mean it's kind of i think um the mid to late 2000s i think kind of you know every era of movies kind of has that special effect i guess which kind of comes about and gets perfected and goes on but i think kind of you know, one of the key ones we've had this decade, particularly the last half of the decade, is the de-aging technique and as well as the sort of this digital thing, which will be perfected a lot over the time, which, I mean, it does open the doors up to, you know, possibilities, which is kind of exciting, but at the same time, you also don't want them to overdo it in yeah. many aspects. I don't know, because like, you can, there's well, a fine line of disrespect to an actor and things like that as well. And that's the other thing. And, you know, it should be said that Peter Cushing's family was heavily involved in this. Like, not only did they get permission, but they said, we want you to come in and prove every single shot. Partly because they didn't want anybody to ever say, well, you did, you, you're bringing people back from the dead. It's like, well, we have the family's permission. And in fact, they're advising us on this. But they also wanted that so they could get the performance because you're not just duplicating a scene from the original movie. They're like, so how would he have said this? Or what would his body gestures have been? So the family was extremely involved in this. I think that is the way to do this. But I mean, yeah, ultimately, if we end up getting, you know, the uh, Rogue One prequel on Tatooine about Luke and his Skyhopper, <laughs> and they're just, you know, uh, 20 years from now taking a dead Mark Hamill and bringing him back to life, then maybe that'll be going a little too far. You just killed Mark Hamill now, Colin. Oh, like, no. <laughs> I even like, gave his date of death. I'm sorry. Like, for fuck's sake. Like,. <laughs> <laughs> You haven't done this enough. <laughs> I killed Roger Moore, but you killed Mark Hamill, right? Who do you think the world's going to care more about? <laughs> Sorry, Roger. Like, you're a legend, but, you know. Um, but I love this scene, sort of there, you know, talking about uh, the defector and that they need to get this fixed. But, um, you know, I like um, Krennic and, and Tarkin sort of, you know, battle with each other. It's kind of cool. But I also love the visuals here. You've got, like, the big laser port of the Death Star being put onto it as well. Um, 
which is which is awesome. You know, you get the name drops of the emperor and things like that, uh, and that they should test the weapon and uh, see how that goes. Uh, we then are on uh, Jeddah. Uh, some great visuals here. I kind of like the way they sort of, um, you see the shadow of the ship rather like they're focusing on the shadow as it's flying across the desert landscape. They've got that, um, the way the ship lands, you're kind of viewing it through like a, a hole in a cliff, which is looks really, really cool. And also love like the visual of the Star Destroyer just floating above Jeddah City. It's kind of, when they're walking through there, it's very Independence Day, isn't it? When they sort of like look up mm-hmm. at the, um, at the sky and there it is. Um, I also, I think I missed a, a bit when they were boarding the ship and, uh, K2 is arguing about having a blaster and uh, kind of like, yeah. like <laughs> just the sort of little banter that he has. And this is where what they tell him to, to stay and kind of like, you know, you should stay here. Like you might get shot instead of me or something like that, or I'll get shot instead of you. And it's like, I don't like, I think that sounds all right to me. <laughs> it's just, oh, he's so good. I love K2. Uh, so then, um, they're walking through the streets of Jeddah City, and this is that honest trailer scene where they bump into the "I don't like you" guy, uh, and he's yeah, um, <laughs> and the honest trailer like, "Hey, that's what those guys were doing before A New Hope. They were walking around. Walking around. I mean, look, <laughs> of all the cameos in this movie, it's like okay, I get it. Like, it's you do have that moment of hey, it's those guys, but I mean." Th- do we need it? <laughs> like, well, I mean, we don't need it, but I kind of. It is the most. It is the most cameo of all the cameos. You could cut that scene from the movie, but I think in a movie that's this serious, it's fun to have a moment where at least the diehard fans can kind of get a chuckle out of that. I mean, I got the same reaction when we see like Red Leader and Gold Leader later on. Mm. I do, I do like. Um, I, I wish they had have like got there. Like he bumps into, it, like you watch it, and then as they walk off, he should turn. Yeah. Like, I don't like her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh god that's just again family guy i don't like you you don't even know me like, you're right <laughs> um so you know we're walking around uh these streets we meet um what what is our what is, what's his name the ninja guy um Chirrut, Chirrut? Is uh, that his name? Yeah, Chirrut, yeah. Chirrut? Chirrut and Baze. Chirrut and Baze. Baze. <laughs> Gunny McShootface. Um, Gunny <laughs> <laughs> We're calling him Gunny McShootface from now on. Chirrut. <laughs> um, but I love Chirrut, yeah. Probably the best uh, human character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, And like when you were talking about sort of the whole... Um, mythical element of the Jedi and the Force. I, I like that too. And I, I'm not one who usually likes sort of religious stuff and using it as an element. But I, like, I think it kind of works with this. Um, so kind of like she, he calls her over and it's like, oh, I can tell you about your necklace. Or How do you know I was wearing a necklace? For that, you'll have to pay me. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool. Um, but they're walking through these streets. There's a, a big tank of a storm. I like the stormtrooper tank. Kind of cool, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tim Allen's on the show, everyone. Welcome, Tim. It's good, good to have you here. Um, but then a big shootout breaks out because Saul's people are there, and uh, they're having a shootout with this tank. And um, you know, it's it's pretty like you know the action scenes in this movie aren't bad. I think they're 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 pretty epic. And then uh, you know this leads us to a big. Um, sequence where Chirrut comes out and just kicks ass, and this is the one bit where Mallory turns around, and is like, "This guy's cool," 
Um, yeah. <laughs> Gunny McShoot face is shooting some people as well. Um, there's there's one <laughs> bit there from Jin that I really like when sort of she's. I love the look away shot that they do sort of in movies and TV shows. So I love that bit when she's just walking past the stormtrooper without looking at the stormtrooper and just shoots the stormtrooper. Um, I've got to ask though, like. Why do stormtroopers even wear armor? Because like <laughs> that's in the honest trailer too. <laughs> well, it is, but like I think I I hadn't watched the honest trailer in a while. But like even when I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking like, well, like how are they getting bashed by a stick? Like they say in the honest trailer, like it's basically done to set up their weakness of sticks for Return of the Jedi. But it's a legitimate uh-huh. question: Why do they bother wearing it? Because like they get knocked out by a giant stick. Like there's no <laughs> point to it. Um, I love the appearance of the Imperial Walker coming through there as well, like shooting the shit out of people. I love walkers. They're great. Um, and it, uh, we also have K2 arrive and it's like, did you know that wasn't me? And she's like, yes, <laughs> of course I did. Um, then I love it when they uh, are walking around and then they, they get confronted by the other stormtroopers and they're like, where are we taking these prisoners? And he's like, yes, I am taking these prisoners to... <laughs> Prison. <laughs> yeah. No, I the way the way the best way that is that the way it actually starts where it's like, where are you taking that prisoner? It goes, she is a prisoner. <laughs> it's like, where are you taking? I am taking the prisoner to imprison them. <laughs> in prison. And I love it when he slaps Cassia. It's just like, you be quiet. There's another one of those where you come from. <laughs> Shut up! I've had enough out of yours. Visually too, I think K two looks incredible because is this all completely CGI or is there somebody in a suit? Yeah, like, I think so. Because it, like it just it looks like maybe the most realistic I've ever seen anything in a Star Wars movie because like this is if this is a complete CGI character, like just absolutely incredible the way it looks. It also, I mean, another thing that ties it to the prequels, I remember seeing K2 in the first teaser trailer and thinking, oh, it's like an evolved battle droid because they make it look like the super battle droids from mm-hmm. episodes two and three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. Um, what is the point of Gunny McShoot face though? Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> in all seriousness, like does, does he have a purpose in this movie? Well, I mean, I actually do re- really like the story arc. I think it's just when you have this many characters, it didn't really get carried through because it, it's really about, you know, the fact that we're so far removed from the Jedi, most people lost faith, and you show the one guy who has lost faith and the one guy who hasn't. I also like the fact that um, Jedi City's, like, on a giant cliff. Like, it's kind of built on sort of a giant mm-hmm. rock cliffing. That's, like, really, really cool. Um so this is a part where they're going to be testing out the weapons. So uh, they order the the troops gets to fly away. So we see like the star destroyer flying off. Um, Jin and everyone get kidnapped by our same little soldiers uh, who are going to take them back to Seoul. Um, maybe the my, one of my favourite moments of the whole movie is when they put the hoods on their head, and Jin is just like, "Are you kidding me? I'm blind." <laughs> I'm blind. <laughs> oh, cheer, it's great. Uh, <laughs> I, even Mallory was just like laughing so hard at that moment. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm blind. <laughs> um, so they go back to uh, Jettison. Another very long walk. Um, it's like Lord of the Rings of Star Wars movies. They're just walking everywhere. Like, you, I don't think they've got a speeder or something to take them there. Um... So Cassian, uh, Bodhi and that get put... Well, Bodhi's already in jail, wrong point. Um, they all get put in jail and uh, Jin gets taken to see Sol. And again, I think this is maybe one of these things where, like going back to the fact they feel a little bit undeveloped, it's like, this should feel like a more prominent scene, but mm-hmm. 
it's just kind of there. But Forrest Whitaker's great here. I just love the way he like he's talking that that moment when he's like, "Have you come here to kill me?" Like I can't do his how he sounds, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's just really really good, and this um, all leads up to Jin getting shown the message from her dad. Uh, and once again, this whole movie basically made to fix a plot hole. Uh, in all of Star Wars, because we have to find out why there was a hole in the Death Star. <laughs> um, so basically, that's what is explained that um, you know he he needs to get revenge. He had to basically find a way to lie uh, because he couldn't you know get what he wanted, and his ultimate revenge is to put a hole in the Death Star and uh, get it all fixed up. Now, now, like at what point, like? If, if you're a, a building director on a building site and, like, you're building the Empire State Building and, you know, all of a sudden you just go to your builders, uh, guys, um, just uh, just quick change of plan. See that structural element there, the court? Yeah. Can we just put a hole in that? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, 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 why? Uh, just because, just like, aesthetically I think it would look great. But but that's a, you know, that's a loading beam. No, 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 it's fine. It's like oh. it's, it will never get discovered. Oh. Don't worry. Holes are all the rage in European architecture. <laughs> but, but, sir, I think we should really check with the emperor. Oh, no, no, the emperor's fine. He's, look, uh, hang on a minute. Yeah. Just let me write this down. Do you oh, let me just get him on the phone here. Yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. hi, hi, emperor. <laughs> hey, it's Galen. Yeah, yeah, Galen Urso. Oh, oh I'm good. How about you? Okay. <laughs> uh, so we thought about putting one of those holes in there. You know those things that we, we saw in Architectural Digest? Yeah, yeah, those holes. I agree. I think it would look great. Okay, okay, I'll tell them I'll tell them to do it right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, best wishes to your wife too. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> hail Hail Empire. Yep, that's it. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and that's where he that's where he gets his do it. Uh, do it. <laughs> we want to put a hole. Do it. But don't you want to know where the hole is? Just do it. Unleash but, your but it- feelings of the hole. That's it. <laughs> Feel it. But, sir, this hole could lead to the destruction of the Death Star with just a single shot. Do it! I said, do it! Uh, so, yeah, just a quick thing about this hole. You do realise that, like, that leads into the actual centre of the Death Star. That, you know, it's just a slight problem. Something fell down there, could blow it up. Just do it! Like, <laughs> that's, again, in the Family Guy episode when it's like, oh, so about that hole, do you think we could patch it up? It's like, we, we could? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's another thing. Once they discover this weakness, the rebels are trying to find out. Just patch it up, like <laughs> get a piece of plywood, <laughs> nail it in there. Come on, guys, get some no gap in there. Just fill it up, like it's kind of <laughs> not that big a deal. Like, look, take some of that stormtrooper armor, <laughs> cram it in the hole again. If they had dental, they would have fixed it. <laughs> There it is. Dental. There's your problem. Fillings. They didn't have fillings. That's it. Right there. Empire didn't have a good dentist. We solved Star Wars. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so we find these plans and then, uh, so basically she's she's going to have to go get them uh, because he's hidden them in a tower. Uh, again, like... Why can't he, like, this is the thing on the, um, how it should have ended. And they get there and they show this scene and it's like, I've hidden them on this, this planet and this is where it is. But that's a suicide mission. So I'm just going to tell you right now and upload it to a stick. Here you go. <laughs> like, it kind of is true. Like, why doesn't he just tell her right then and there? And then we take a whole section of this movie out. Like, it's a bit unnecessary, uh, Gail. Like, you're just killing your daughter here, basically. 
Um, anyway, so the the Empire have decided to test their weapon and destroying um, Jeddah City. So they've all got to escape. Uh, Cassian can break out of jail, takes Bodhi with him. Uh, they all run away. Sol decides to commit suicide because I'm sick of running. One of the most pointless suicides ever. Like I mean, it is. Like it just. There's no reason for him to die. Like Jesus Christ. Uh, visually, this looks awesome. I do love the way kind of you get these rocks and these things flying. But the one criticism I have, and I guess kind of you know, again, this comes down to the visuals of what you can do in the 70s, and that is it. Like it kind of is a bit ridiculous. I think this is the level of destruction we get from one little shot for a city. Yet when Alderaan gets blown up, it's just a pew sparks. Uh- <laughs> Like, well, they did say they, they 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 proposed destroying the whole planet, and they're like, no, I just want, like, a test. I just want one small section. But I also kind of think it's like, um, you know, when we get to the epic Darth Vader lightsaber scene, it's kind of, it's then laughable to think what the next lightsaber scene will be in A New Hope. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we'll get to that. So they uh, escape from the planet. I, I love that shot when um, Tarkin and that are on sort of on the bridge of the looking down kind of and you see that city getting destroyed it's really really cool and then then we get the the tarkin uh critic scene where they yell like this is my i built this death star uh and then tarkin just i love the way they kind of just standing holding his ground like again i know this is an animated character but um i think it's cool i i do love the the empire like the little metal things that they have like those little red and blue dots on their mm-hmm. um thing and like cuz like, when you look at sort of the background ones how like some of them only got like a couple of blue dots on them and then you got the red and the blue and then Tarkin's yeah. got like the it's orange. like their insignia yeah like i think that's kind of like a cool thing i'm i know i'm sure that they mean like i'm sure there's on wikipedia or some star wars you know page or book has explained it's like their rank yeah, like, so Orange is probably the top one, right? Like, that's why he's mm-hmm. General Tarkin and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so they have escaped from Jeddah. They uh, have a talk on the ship <laughs> about stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to work out, like, the point of some of these scenes in this movie, right? They're, they're basically flying to Yavin. F- oh, no, they're going to Edu first, aren't they? Or do they go to Yavin 4 first? No, they get the orders from Yavin to... Yavin radios them and says, go to Edu. That's right. Okay, cool. There we go. Right. <laughs> There's about five scenes explaining that. Um, so they go to Edu, which is what, like a storm planet? Like there's just a constant mm. storm and rocks going on. Um, and this is where the they, they believe um, Gale to be. And so they... Head there, um, Galen. I keep saying Gale, Galen. Gale. I was going to say that. <laughs> I, I watched this movie. Um, <laughs> so they land, but the whole thing here is, um, of course, Cassian is actually being ordered to kill Galen, um, but they think they're going to extract him and take him back to uh, the rebels. So they kind of um, split off here that uh, Bodhi uh, and Cassian go up to uh, go on this ledge to overlook them. And Jin's going to stay in the ship and, uh, I guess, just be on the ship. Uh, they also then order, because um, they they, when they crash on the planet, the rebels don't hear from them. So they think, okay, cool, let's just go send off the troops to uh, invade and kill this planet. Why didn't they just do this in the first place? <laughs> like, if the whole purpose is for um, Cassian to kill 
Galen, like, then why don't they just do this in the first place? Like, it's kind of, you know, taking out a third party here. So we get Galen back. He's looking all long-haired and good in his little uh, thing. Krennic shows up. Uh, we get all the other... I love these innocent bystander architect people. Like, no, 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 don't shoot me! Um... I, I, I wish I was like, you know, as an actor, you're in Star Wars, you may as well just get meaningly slaughtered by the Empire, but still, I'm sure you've got a 50-page article on Wikipedia about each of you. Yeah. So, <laughs> let's be honest, they're on there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously... Tivik's on there, we know who they are. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Krennic here is basically saying, like, you know, we know one of you have leaked plans, which one is it? And all the like, no, 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 not me! Um, and then Galen steps forward, right, no, it's me! And then uh, Krennic just, you know, the sign of an evil bastard is you just willingly kill people anyway, which is great. Um, meanwhile, Cassian doesn't shoot, uh, <laughs> doesn't shoot first. Uh, and then <laughs> basically says, no, we found him. Like, you know, call off the troops. He tries to uh, stop the, the rebels from coming to destroy, but it's too late. We get into a bit of a dogfight. Um, bunch of stormtroopers meaninglessly get murdered because why not? We get a cool shot. Uh, this is the the cool shot of Chirrut when he shoots the Tie Fighter down with his like bow laser, isn't it? Like that's a pretty epic shot the way he does that. Um, and this all ultimately leads to uh, Jin getting a final moment with a father um, because Mad's about Mickelson. He's dead about Mickelson <laughs> right now because uh, he <laughs> he dies in Jin's arm because you know redeeming scene and everything. Um, I know I'm skipping over some subtle things here, but again, like, you know, if there's anything major you want to talk about, we'll get to that. Um, so as they fly off, uh, there's a bit of a confrontation between, um, Jin and Cassian. You were going to kill him. I didn't pull the trigger though, did I? It's like, you may as well have. Can I just point out something here? Like we talk about the kind of uninteresting human characters in this movie. Now, like, I don't think it's ever implied that there's meant to be a romantic connection between them. Oh, I like that. Like, I, I, I don't think just because you've mm-hmm. got a main female and a main male, you don't always have to have them. No, they've got to have sex. They've got to hook up. Like, you don't need that. But, like, is there even in? And I'm not saying this in terms of sexual chemistry. I'm just sort of saying in chemistry between two people. I just kind of feel like these two just don't work off each other that well. Like, is that just me? I think the... Um, the- if I had to guess, again, this is speculating on what the reshoots were and the fact that it, they said it was mostly Jin and Cassian. I think this idea of killing her father and the conflict of them was one of the things that was brought in in the reshoots that if they had simply done it from the beginning, it would have been executed a lot better because it just sort of feels like they dropped that into the movie. Like these are two completely different people with two completely different ideals. And in that scene where they're having that argument, like I have a hard time sympathizing with Jin because like she was raised by a terrorist let's be honest (laughs) and she's trying to lecture him you know on on morals and stuff like that um it's just it's one of the many things in this movie where it's very smart the idea they had but the execution wasn't there and I feel like maybe if they had been able to focus on this from the beginning and made that this character arc that would have carried through from beginning to end with these two just them being two different extremes kind of fighting for the same purpose, but these different extremes, it would have played much better in their chemistry. I don't think that they have bad chemistry. It's just their scenes are just, some of the scenes are okay. Although there is the, the cut scene, the alternate ending where they end up together, you know, living peacefully on some planet somewhere, which would have been awful. (laughs) 
setting up house, uh, kind of like like Thanos just living by himself, like you know. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. God, that would have been terrible. I don't. That's kind of like that alternate ending. I know you're going to roll your eyes, but you know what I'm talking about with Titanic, where like if you actually watch it, you're like, holy crap, that's bad. I'm so glad we never saw that. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, like it's it's it is kind of just comes down to that like that missing piece because like yeah, like Jean has, has been raised by a terrorist. When we meet her, she's just in jail, and the only reason she's there is because she's the daughter of someone they need, um, who then just I guess willingly joins a rebellion, um, and then kind of uh, Cassian is you know this like this is I can see why we're getting a Cassian spinoff, like why we're getting a TV series on him mm-hmm. because there is I think stuff about him that you kind of do want to see, you kind of want to learn a little bit because originally wasn't it meant to be a gin spin-off isn't that what they were hoping to do no uh no i don't remember that i mean i also was thinking while watching this that the cassian spin-off it's not even necessarily just his character i mean there are some interesting things with his character i think his character's slightly you know better developed than Jin's, but still he would still qualify probably as the second most bland character in this movie uh, but it's just the idea that you would want to follow what is the rebellion like before A New Hope, and who else are you going to use? Because all the rebel characters from the original trilogy, you'd have to recast the actors, and then it wouldn't match up. Jimmy Smith's, maybe you can include him there, but he's not going to be the action hero. So it just seems like it's the if you want to do stories like that, he is the only fit you could really use. Which is kind of one thing that I always think about watching this movie, like, as you said, like, exploring the rebellion more. Because I feel like the Empire's explored mm-hmm. beautifully. Like, we, we learn all this sort of stuff, we see it, and we kind of we get it. And obviously, we had, you know, the whole prequel trilogy to kind of explore how it comes about. But, yeah, like, the rebellion is something that you, you touch on. Like, we talked about in Solo, how kind of there's, you know, the foundation of it and things like that. But, um, yeah, like, it's definitely something that I think it's a good use, hopefully, of really digging into how this rebellion takes shape and everything along those lines. Because that's also a thing, too, I think, um, in the sequel trilogy, which I feel, you know, maybe The Mandalorian will explain more of this. I'm not too sure. But, I, I mean, that, to me, is where I get the biggest, like, gap of, like, what the hell's happened here? Like, how has this mm-hmm. become this and that? And uh, it's not just me. The Last Jedi kind of did a lot of that, too. But anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, they escape, and then we get... Um, the return to the volcanic planet of Mustafa. <laughs> now, I remember watching this in the movies for the first time, just, like, losing my shit. Like, oh, my God, it's yeah. Mustafa. Like, it's so great. And again, bridging that gap with the sequels. I just, I love the fact that Darth Vader's hideout is still on this planet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's very partial to uh, Mustafa. Uh, and just the, the epicness of the way they do this, kind of like, you know, the way the ship leads, the cloak. The, the doors, uh, and then just the reveal of Darth Vader. And then even him, like, in this tank, like, because, you know, I, I like this yeah. knowledge. I mean, we get it in the original trilogy, don't we? But, like, he obviously has to take his helmet off every now and then. He needs some breathing time. And he, he needs to put some aloe on his burns every now and then, basically, with yeah. Darth Vader. <laughs> um, I mean, how epic, though, would it, like, you never see his face, obviously. But imagine if they had gotten Hayden Christensen just to play, like, a defigured... I know. Anakin. Like, that would have been pretty cool. Um, maybe they tried. Like, they could have tried or something. I'm, I'm not too sure. But, um... So, we have, um... Uh, Krennic here talking to Darth Vader, sort of, about, um... What's going on and everything here. Uh, and then, um... I do, I do love, like, sort of just... Like, James L. Jones, like, he's older. We know that. We appreciate the fact mm-hmm. that he's still around, but... He does sound different, let's be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, not completely terrible. It's kind of like, again, I hate to bring this up, but, like, the newer Lion King, like, again, obviously, it's still James L. Jones. It's great. But, I mean, you know, he, like, the whole cast, were like, they were fell, falling asleep in that whole movie. So, 
Um, they looked like they were falling asleep. <laughs> that was that realistic. You could see the actors <laughs> through the CGI. Um, and I do kind of like just the back and forth here and sort of Vader just like basically bagging out poor old, poor old Krennic. He's trying his best. Like he's, you know, he thinks he's built this Death Star, so he should be getting credit. And basically, he's not getting credit for it. Um, he's trying to blame Tarkin for it. You know, he was he was the one who destroyed Jenna, not me. Uh, <laughs> don't blame me. I didn't do anything. <laughs> Why are you sad at me? Um, and then I also love the way Vader. He's kind of like, you know, as far as the Senate knows, it was a mining disaster. Um, mm-hmm. Which is kind of like I just I want to see like. The, the the CNN of the Empire, or like the news service, kind of like, dun, 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 breaking news, breaking news. The city of Jeddah has been destroyed by an unfortunate <laughs> mining accident. We cross live now to the scene with reporter Frank Peters. Frank! Yes, Jim, wow. I'm standing here at what used to be Jeddah City in what seems to be a terrible <laughs> mining disaster. Millions dead, but a mining disaster. Can we reiterate? It's a mining <laughs> disaster. Back to you in you the know studio. What? Do you know what I just put two and two together on? Like, I actually made a note in the earlier scene with Jimmy Smits and everything that they talked about, you know, if we can get this intel, we can take this to the Senate. Like, as if they're like, hey, we can, you know, show that there's corruption here. Like, this is their game against the Emperor, that the Senate still has power. And then in this where he's talking about the mining disaster, I just put two and two together. Like, A New Hope starts, like, what, 24 hours later, and the Emperor dissolves the Senate? Was that just his cover-up because he knew that there were people who knew about everything that happened that were about to go to them? It was Jar Jar Binks. He knew. He's like, Misa knows the secret. (laughs) I will live on the the legacy of Senator Amidala. That's like that's that's true. Like, and this is the thing. Like, we talked about the prequels, and I think people just skip over the fact that a new hope mentions the Senate. Like, there's a whole thing with yeah. Leia. Like, you know, basically, no, I'm a senator, and it's like, you know, like, and then they basically get rid of the whole Senate. So yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's kind of cool that they sort of they they go to that detail. But I, it's just one of those little things where I kind of like just a little subtleness. Like, oh no, no, it's it's a mining disaster. Like that, that that's what happened. Not a, not a giant like space laser. What are you like in Men in Black? Yeah. The light reflected off of Venus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, so, uh, then I also love the way that when Vader walks off and then Critic's just like, so I'm still in charge then. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then we get James Bond Vader. Yes. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations. But, like, that is maybe the one line that James L. Jones actually delivers pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Because that's in the original trilogy. I love that one. Is it Empire? Where it's like, apology accepted, General. Yeah, Captain (laughs) Nita. But that's the thing. People complain about this line, too. And, yeah, it is a little bit too, you know, uh, punny for, uh, you know, a Star Wars movie. But let's not forget, this is the same guy who said, like, apology accepted, Captain Neil. And, and also is like, I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's He's always kind of trash-talking people in a way. 
He's the guy who hates sand, everyone. Like, I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, like, again, props to Hayden Christensen because, again, well, I think we touched on the fact that he was just channeling his inner Luke Skywalker because Mark Hamill is whiny. And then, like, mm-hmm. you know, he still keeps him on mind. like, what is it? Like, Obi-Wan is here and the Force is with him. Like, it's just, <laughs> that line always bothers me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, just little subtle things like that. Again, like, Hayden Christensen needs more credit for what he was, like, trying to do. Who Who is... is uh, who is the actor in the mask here? Is it just like a, a stunt double or something? Or did somebody get the honour of being able to be Darth Vader in this film? Yeah, that's another thing I'll have to look up here. Because I was wondering that when I was watching. I'm like, wouldn't it have been cool? Like, I know Hayden Christensen was so excited to be in the Darth Like, he begged to be in that Darth Vader suit. I'm like, wouldn't it have been cool if they got Hayden Christensen to do it? But I would guess because of the fight scenes that they have here that they would have gotten like a professional stuntman. Uh, but there is something to just the physical aspect of Vader's character. You know, and I met David Prowse, who played Darth Vader in the original uh, trilogy, and he talked a lot about, you know, how he would have to move his body in a certain way and do this and that, you know, to actually emote through this giant suit. It's not an easy thing to do, and whoever is in the suit here, he actually nails the physicality of Vader. Uh, mm-hmm. Daniel Neprouse ah, uh, is yep. the guy who did this. He's stuntman who's done everything from... Uh, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, uh, professional stuntman. Yeah, exactly. But that would be epic. Imagine that. Like, you know, oh, yeah, you've mm-hmm. just got to dress as Star, as, uh, as Star Wars. You've got to do all the Star Wars. you got to dress as Darth <laughs> Vader. Like, that. that's career highlight right there. Um, but, yeah, great scene, great he sequence. also played Ogre Number 3 in Ella Enchanted. Oh, that's where I knew him from. I knew he looked familiar. <laughs> Um, but I remember when I saw this, I, again, I knew Darth Vader was in this, but I kind of assumed that this would be the only Darth Vader scene. So the fact that we get something at yeah. the end and we're going to get to is all kinds of epic. Uh, now we're on Yavin and we get the big discussion around the table about what they should do that no one's kind of believing Jin that these plans, I like it when they got on the ship before. It's like, tell me you got the recording. She's like, uh, no. Um, but I, I do have to say, like, when they're sort of arguing with her, like, how is she telling the truth or whatever? And then it's kind of like, you know, they come up with this plan. They're the ones who brought her in for this connection. Like, why yeah. would she lie? <laughs> like, she's got no reason to lie. Um, so kind of, it's, it's odd. But, you know, everyone's debating around the table, like, oh, you know, no, we're not going to go and, um, steal this. It's suicide. And isn't this where we get, like, 300 droppings of the word hope? Um, <laughs> because... <Yeah. laughs> It's one thing, like, it just gets so on the nose. It's like, we get it, all right? The next movie's called A New Hope, all right? We understand. Uh, they don't, you know, is that why there's 300 episodes, uh, mentions of the word Empire in A New Hope, and then in, a new, in Empire Strikes Back, there's 300 word mentions of Jedi. Uh, so they just keep, you know, tacking it on. So Remember all those mentions of Awakening in Return yes, of the Jedi? I know, right? Uh, and all those mentioning of Rise in The Last Jedi, like, it's kind of like, <laughs> Rise, Rise, Rise! <laughs> Skywalker, coming soon to cinemas. Um, so, yeah, they're not going to help out Jin. So Jin basically and a merry bunch of uh, people are going to go themselves. They've got they've stolen the Imperial starship um, from Edu before. Uh, and as they get ready to take off, um, you know, where are you? What is your call sign? Rogue. Rogue One. Like... <laughs> It there would have been go. better if he said Rouge. Rouge one. <laughs> Roll credits. Um, can I, I've always wondered on Yavin, that that guy who stands in that little watchtower with the laser yes! pointer. What, what is he doing? <laughs> Again, that's another, that's another 
another Family Guy thing where you've got the guy going pew pew pew. Like, what is the point of that person standing in a watchtower? With is, is he the cops? Well, is he like the cops yeah, of Gavin? Like, oh, you're speeding. <laughs> I know because I, I when I whenever I saw a New Hope, I always picked that out too, and it looked like he's. I thought you know as a kid, oh, he's tracking to make sure that this is like you know, that the, there's you know the the proper people. These aren't imperial people. Like somehow it would say, oh, those are rebels. Like his scanner says rebels, not empire. But then when you watch him do it again here. It literally is like. Uh, you know, I'm calling in a speeder. This Rogue One ship, they're totally reckless. I'm writing them up right now. Uh, $300 ticket. <laughs> and you see, like, the the bottom level of the Rebellion? It's like, join the Rebellion today! Yeah. You get dental. <laughs> All right, um, uh, Nathan, uh, your job is to stand in this tower and hold this. Okay, what do I do? Point the speed gun know. at any ship coming in. <laughs> oh, maybe he's, like, planning his wedding, and it's one of those things for, like, the registry list. Like, beep, beep, I want this at my wedding by... <laughs> By me, Imperial Starship. <laughs> there's there's a page somewhere online describing what these guys are. Come on, this is Star Wars, all right? This isn't. Come on, if if Ice Cream Machine Man has his own action figure from Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> this guy's at least got a Wikipedia page. Um, you know about Ice Cream Machine Man? Uh, refresh my memory. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll refresh your memory when we get to Empire. It's amazing. Okay. Um, we I like this little scene though we get with um with Mon Mothma and um General Organa uh Senator Organa sorry it's kind of the, the last time we'll see him because uh, he about to get blown up on Alderaan yeah. um but it's kind of you know like oh are you sure we can get your Jedi friend and uh, basically like yes we can and then you know oh how who are we going to get to del- go collect him it's like oh someone I would trust with my life um so you know nice it little man. Yeah. Reporting for duty, General Organa. <laughs> it's Jar Jar. Uh, <laughs> me to deliver plans to Tatooine. <laughs> me want to see Saboba again. Puyo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I might cap it there because I think kind of that basically leads us into our, our closing moment. Um, you know, the best part of the whole yes. movie, let's be honest. So I've covered a bit there, but like that's that's all we need to talk about in that middle bit, I think. Over to you, Colin. You know, the you did sort of say, well, yeah, they did bring Jin in here, but I kind of have this, the question throughout the entire movie. They're trusting her way too much, and maybe this is something that due to the reshoots, you know, her character was retooled, and they, they couldn't figure out, okay, well, we can't make her so much of a threat that nobody trusts her, but we need her to be part of the team. Uh, because you go all the way back to that first scene, like when they, they have a discussion about the blast. She gets a blaster, and I don't, like K2. Yeah, you do wonder, it's like, why did she get a blaster? I mean, I think she kind of took that one on her own, but there really shouldn't be this level of trust with it. Like, this is a secret Rebel Alliance and a secret base, and they're letting her in on everything. And I think that's one of the problems I have with the Jin character is that it doesn't make sense in the context of the story. She's just there to lead them to the father, and her character isn't strong enough at any point to kind of be the one that, that leads the troops. So I'm going to jump all the way ahead before I go back to the beginning here. Uh, the biggest issue I have is when... They are making that plan, the, the hope, hope, hope scene. And, like, everybody is ready to give up. They're like, you know, we've been fighting this rebellion for 20 years, and I say it's time we surrender. It's like, you always want to go on and fight. Just this one time I want to surrender. Like, <laughs> why is everybody there willing to give up except for her? And it actually bothers me that she gives the big pep talk that makes everything, all right, let's go on about it. I mean, of course, they turn her down, but everybody else, you know, who goes on the Rogue One ship is like, yes, let's do this. Because And it's not a thing about her character not having familiarity with it or anything. 
It's I I imagine she's filling the role that Luke had. She's the outsider who knows nothing about this, who comes into the rebellion and sees this for the first time. But this movie never actually makes that her character. They should make it a bigger. Everything about her character should be a bigger deal. Uh, as much as I really think her character is the weakest part of this movie, I think that they should have made her bigger in the movie. They should have made her the lead character because you could have gone so much further with her as the child raised by this extremist and what are her values compared to the rebellion. They could have gone further with should she be trusted because of who she was raised by. And when she has this scene and gives the pep talk, I look at it the same way I would have looked at like, can you imagine a new hope? I, mean, I remember even growing up, my brother and I used to kind of complain you know, why does Luke get to lead the battle? Like, once most of the other ships are down, Wedge has been here for a long time. And I was like, all right, I'm following you, boss. And that even bothered us as kids. And you imagine if Luke had come into A New Hope and they're all like, the Death Star you know, can destroy an entire planet. I say we give up. And Luke's like, no, we can't give up. The only thing we have is hope. I'd hate Luke, too. Like, I just, I, I hate movies where the outsider character comes in and tells everybody who's been fighting this war for 20 years how to do their job and that's why i felt like leia's character i I really hope they find a way to pull it off but as soon as i saw that they killed han in force awakens sorry to spoil that if people haven't gone what (laughs) um i am the first thing that came into my head is this is han's movie the next one will be luke's the third one needs to be leia's because leia's the only character that's been fighting this war from before even a new hope started and that's why Leia needed to be a hero at some point. And unfortunately, we're probably never going to get to that point. But it bothers me that Jim's the, Jim's the one who's bossing everybody around here and coming up. The pep talk should have been from somebody else. She should, she should have had a part in it. Jimmy Smith. Or maybe they should. Jimmy Smith, yeah. Or Cassian or somebody. It's just it, – it, it, it's the same thing that bothers me with Luke, but they didn't go that far with Luke. And there are a lot of other things they do with Jin. Like, you know, we talked about um, – uh, some of the things that they did with Ray, like, oh, she's a woman. How can she do this? Like, and and we, we both have these complaints in many movies, uh, Captain Marvel being a perfect example where they're constantly pointing out she's a girl and look what she can do. Whereas the difference in Wonder Woman is like, oh, my goodness, she's the most powerful human being I've ever seen. Not the most powerful woman, the most powerful human being. And that's such a better character to have, or at least female character, the way to portray it. The scene where she's fighting on Jedha. And Cassian sort of stops in the middle of the battle and he's like, does this double take and he watches like, wow, a girl can fight like that. Mm. You knew she was raised by a terrorist. Like it, it makes no – the only reason to do that double take is to kind of show the audience it's amazing what this girl can do. You're actually doing a disservice to female characters by pointing that out instead of having just have her fight. Mm-hmm. It's just there, – there are so many things where they tried too hard with her character but missed the point. And I mean, the same thing can said, be said for Cassian because when he has that scene on the ship, I'm all over the place here, but you know, um, you know there's works. there's not there's not that much to cover in this section of the story, you know, as you you sort of went through. You know, they they mention this thing about Cassian and his, you know, oh my family, you know, and, and I was basically born into this rebellion, and like that's the only mention of it. It's like, why don't you make that his character then? Like, I, I don't mind what either of these actors did with the movie. I think they probably went in the right direction with Jin's character because I think we all remember that teaser trailer the uh, in that, that opening scene where they're telling her, you know, this is why we brought you in here. And in the teaser trailer, the shot where she says, you know, this is a rebellion. I rebel. And it's just, like, so cocky and arrogant. And, like, it, no matter who you are, you don't want a character 
who's just that cocky and arrogant. You know, you want a humble hero. And the one thing they did well, I think, in the reshoots was to take that out. I mean, Honest Trailers even made fun of that. Ooh, thank God they got rid of that line. (laughs) Uh, So they obviously humbled her a little bit, but they lost any type of interest in her character. And Cassian, you know, maybe they added stuff in the reshoots because he, he has a slightly more complex character. But again, like, I want to know more about this character. Make that the point of the character, this guy raised in the Rebellion. So maybe in that sense, you know, prequel series would work for either of them. But I don't think either of those characters really work in the movie here. Um, uh, uh, going back to K2, like that, that blaster bit was where he's saying to um, Cassian, he's like, do you know what the probability is of her using that blaster against you? <laughs> and you're thinking he's going to say, like, it's 3,721. He's like, it's high. It's very high. <laughs> just exactly the right thing to do with the droid character. Make it still droid-like, but, you know, just... Uh, uh, exactly the, the not quite so human that it's like the solo one. And again, I just made a note: radar gun guy. What's the point? <laughs> like you All right, Kito, I'm going to find this. I'm going to find out what his purpose yeah. is because he's got to have a purpose. Um, the Tarkin stuff. I mean, we talked a little bit about the effects and everything, but just it's repeating what I said earlier about the importance of having him be a major character. And I think that's what I was surprised about because I knew he would be in it, and I was so happy they made him a major part of the story. This would not work if he wasn't a major part of the story, if he wasn't in multiple scenes. But even just giving that extra depth to his character where you realize I always perceived that he was the guy in charge of the Death Star the whole time. So when I, whenever I watched New Hope, I pictured him on the Death Star for 20 years. All right, we need to uh, cover some of these holes. Don't miss any of the holes because if, if you miss one of the holes, they're going to blow this whole <laughs> thing up. But instead, you realize he literally just comes in here. And he scoops this out. Krennic's the guy who's been building this from day one. Because when Tarkin says um, in a scene to Krennic, it's something like, uh, um, you know, oh, the, the, I spoke to the Emperor about this. Or I'm going to tell him that the the weapon that I spoke to him about, you know, a long time ago. And you realize this is low on the Emperor's radar. Like, this is just one of many pro- projects. And we're going to get the, into that when they get onto Scarif later on. Like, the Death Star Emperor is probably like, and how is that... Um, uh, with that that uh, that Weasley Krennic guy, what's that project with the weapon he's always talking about? Oh, the the, the Death Star, yeah, Death Star. Uh, anything happen with that? Yeah, no, no, no. You know they're still building. All right, well, update me next quarter, okay? Bridget <laughs> does not care at all, and Tarkin sees what this weapon can do with the you know the destruction on Jeddah, and even that. That's why you said like, oh, like this is all they do with it when you know, it's a weapon to destroy the entire planet. I actually like that because it gave it an extra depth to the Tarkin character, where you realize he's using this to further himself. He says, "I have the power to take this away from Krennic," and you realize everybody in the Empire is just looking to advance their career. This is total bureaucracy. Krennic's constantly like, "Will you tell the Emperor?" Like even the scene with Vader, "Will you tell the Emperor that I did a good job?" <laughs> But Tarkin's the exact same way here because he's like, I can take this away from you. And why did he say, let's only do a small test? Why didn't he destroy the planet? Then you realize the next one is because he's going to use the destruction of Alderaan as his gesture. If they had done it here, that was still under Krennic. Krennic would get the credit. (laughs) Tarkin's just playing this political game here to further his career still, which is amazing. Um, the, the, all the other characters, uh, Donnie Yen and, um, uh, I don't know the name of the guy who plays, uh, Gunny McShootface, <laughs> but, Gunny uh, McShootface, that's like, who he plays him. He plays there's himself. two guys who have real chemistry, and, yes. and I'll give the benefit of the doubt that the reshoots around Jin and Cassian probably hurt their chemistry, uh, cause they're both decent actors, uh, but 
these two guys have unbelievable chemistry. If there's one prequel series I really want, it's them. Because even the way their characters are set up, they, they sort of spell it out. Like, they call them the, the Guardians of the Wills. And I don't know if that name means anything to you, but, like, um, back in the earliest drafts of Star Wars, in fact, the very first draft George Lucas wrote, it was called The Star Wars, or, like, uh, the, the Adventures of Luke Starkiller as told in the Journal of the Wills. Like, it was a very long title, and the Journal of the Wills was a part of it. And it was even included in um, the the novelization of A New Hope. They mentioned like the the Journal of the Wills and everything there. And uh, this was an idea George Lucas had that the the Wills would be some type of being that the, the whole Star Wars saga. The, the fact that it started with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away was that people way in the future of this galaxy. This was their record in telling the story, and they were like these these immortal beings called the Wills. It's something that got deleted from Star Wars, but they've sort of kept it around, and it was originally supposed to be part of how Qui-Gon came back, that there were these beings that learned immortality, which would explain later on you know, why these they would write down a long time ago in Galaxy Far, Far Away, because they lived through it. Um, in, in the end, they even deleted that out, because I guess George Lucas decided, I never want to completely, I just, I like this idea of the wills, or the name the wills, it has some connection to the Jedi, or the Star Wars galaxy, and here they just sort of fit it in, like that they're they're the keepers of i guess the whole idea is they're the keepers of the jedi religion and that's what i really like about jedi here and again this is what i talked about it being removed from the jedi nobody fully understands the force but they're like we have to preserve this history because the empire is wiping it out and these are like two of the only guys left who actually are preserving this and the idea that one of them he even says you know Baze was once the the greatest believer in the force uh, and the greatest of all the guardians and now he has no faith at all and you realize this this one guy, Donnie Yen, is the only one who does, and the blind guy of all things. And, and of course, the fighting is amazing, and you have to get like this iconic martial arts star to do this, because really nobody else in this movie other than Vader gets any real action. It's a lot of like shooting and hiding behind a rock and you know uh, <laughs> operating claws that pull out data tapes. Like <laughs> the action is pretty minimal for the human characters here, um, and just Donnie Yen, like a guy who's like fifty years old and can still move like that's crazy. And his accent's incredible for a guy that never did an English language movie prior to this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, the the fact that um, they have the, uh, the the blind thing in there, like I, everybody loves that line. But to you, does it feel a little bit like humor that doesn't belong in the rest of the movie because this movie's so serious? And I get the same thing with some of K 2s lines, like it, it catches you off guard and it's hilarious and I love it, but. It seems like such a funny line for a movie that takes itself so seriously. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I, I, I'm not complaining about the line. I think it's amazing. I wish the movie had more humor like that. But maybe it's more the lack of humor that kind of distracts me with that line. I Yeah, I see it. But at the same time, I think it's just delivered so well as an actor that I think kind of like it's just... it's Yeah. I mean, I guess I see your point. It kind of just feels a bit out of place with it. But um, but like so funny. Are you yeah, I mean, it's, it's hilarious. Because cause you, you definitely... The thing, though, I think the reason why it's got to be in there, because you do know that if they had to include that without a line, how many people yeah. would complain about that? Like, why are they putting a hood on his head? He's blind. Like, that literally yeah. would have been everyone's complaint about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the, uh, the talking about the visual shots here, the fact that when they're destroying Jeddah, that we see the Death Star upside down, because you never really get that perspective. I think the movie Gravity did it best... Um, where it really showed like the disorientation about being in space and moving around and how you have no point of reference. 
Uh, and you don't really get it in Star Wars because you're always seeing things facing upright. So the fact that y- you see the Death Star here upside down, and then you see another shot of it from the planet's point of view where it's actually looking down upon it, it's just this cool visual idea where you realize in space there really is no up or down, and you can look at it from any angle, and it's it's such a cool look to it. Uh, also, the uh, the humor lines that Krennic has that are just sinister but hilarious, like when the whole city's being destroyed and they're watching on the view screen, it's like watching an A-bomb go off you know, in Hiroshima, and somebody's watching, and he actually delivers the line, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah, the... The escape from Jeddah is a great action scene. I love all the flying scenes in this movie, partly because they film it in the same way A New Hope would have. Like, that would have been distracting too. It's okay to do it in a movie that takes place decades earlier, but in something that's taking place back to back, even in the flying scenes, there's sometimes they use like a point of view shot from the ship, which is something they did in New Hope, just so that they didn't have to animate more ships. They could just film a camera going over a model, like going into the Death Star, and we get that in the flying scenes here. Uh, the Saw sacrifice, it's so pointless, especially for a character they talk about being such an extremist. And he's gone to the lengths, the same lengths as Vader and General Grievous. He's got mechanical legs. He's got the oxygen mask. For him to just be like, no, my fight's over and just give up, like, it doesn't make sense. And the Saw character really does suffer. Such a great idea that obviously three through the reshoots, it, it really lost something. And it, it doesn't even make sense in the long run, him giving up. Um Bodhi's mind being messed up. This was the other thing I mentioned with the 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 Borg gullet uh, or whatever you called it. <laughs> that I wish that had been a bigger part of the movie because they have the scene when they're in the the jail cell and he's like, "I'm I'm I'm a pilot." That's right. I Spy! wish that had become a bigger part of the movie. Spy! <laughs> I'm a I'm a spy. <laughs> Uh, but, like, <laughs> the fact is this character was the only guy Galen trusted to actually defect and not sell him out. Uh, there's a great backstory there, too. That's one of those George Lucas things about drop them into the movie and never explain what happened beforehand. Leave them imagining what happened before the movie started. Um, but Bodhi has a lot of information. And we see that come up. The only other time it really comes up is, uh, well, obviously when they're landing on Scarif, but when they're uh, landing on Edu and he's saying, no, 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 don't do that because their radars can detect us at this point. We need to stay in the canyons. And he realizes all, all this knowledge. It would have been even more exciting in this movie if Borg Gullet affected his mind in a way where they're like, we need his information. Like, how do we get in here? And he's like, I, I can't remember. My mind's messed up. Or if there's times where he would just slip into a seizure or something like that. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but Bodhi's probably one of the best characters in this movie. I mean, I would say, you know, Chirrut, um, uh, Bodhi, and Krennic. Those are probably, like, the top three there uh, of the human characters. Riz Ahmed's an amazing actor. He probably, you know, gives a near Oscar-worthy performance at times with what he's given. But I can imagine if they had gone even further with his character – and made him this this guy whose mind was fractured and broken. It just it, I when I watch this, I keep thinking about if they had only gone further with this, it would have made this movie amazing. It would have made it the greatest Star Wars movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it kind of gets lost to the whole idea about you know is Cassian being told to go kill Galen? Like I still don't quite grasp. Was he doing that on his own because he didn't trust him? Like, it, it's such a blink and you miss it part of the movie. So that when they have that argument later on after he doesn't kill Galen but tries to, it sort of makes that fight feel like, wait, I'm still trying to figure out what happened there. 
So, like, there are some real flaws in the storytelling of this movie that I think most people won't be critical enough of. Um, but th- there's issues there. But, but the stuff on Edu, Edu is another great planet. Like, we talk about the Disney movies not nailing it. You know, uh, let's level as just episode seven, eight, and maybe Solo still, because I don't even think Solo nails the whole scope of George Lucas's worlds. This movie really does. Like, all the planets look fantastic, they all have a very different look. This storm, it doesn't just look like Camino, you know, this this constant rainstorm. Uh, it's almost more like an electrical storm at times. Uh, the flying scenes there are great, too. Uh, I think that Mads needed more to have his death matter. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this thing that uh, the, the reason that in movies you often will cut away when somebody dies or you'll just have a look and then the scene ends is because audiences have a hard time watching somebody grieve. Mm-hmm. So um, there's so many movies where a character dies. Like perfect example, when Qui-Gon dies in The Phantom Menace, you see Obi-Wan like no master, and then Qui-Gon dies, and they're actually zooming out as Obi-Wan's mourning, and then they just cut the scene. Because an audience won't actually sit through that. They will feel too uncomfortable to even enjoy it. And this is one of these scenes where I feel like the grieving's too much. Maybe it would have been appropriate if we had seen more of Galen, but he's he's literally in like two scenes and then he's gone. Uh, so I was just sort of like, come on, stop crying already. Let's get on with it already. <laughs> uh, and, and another thing that's not really sold as well in this movie is the fact that the rebels do kill him. Like, I think Cassian even brings that up on the ship later on. He's like, I did kill your father. And it's like, well, your ships did. It's like, well, yeah, the rebels still killed him. Like, this should be her conflict. So why is the character not going there? Like, why didn't they write that in? I, I can't blame Tony Gilroy because I don't know what he had to work with in the mess of the movie that you know he had to rewrite. But there is more conflict you could have for the movie. You know, the rebels still killed. She goes in there and gives them a pep talk after they killed her father, not Cassian. Everybody yeah. else. She's like, "Fuck um, you all! I'm not helping any of you." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm going to Mustafar, <laughs> where they know how to treat a lady. <laughs> I'm going to go choke on my aspirations. Yeah. <laughs> But I will miss the uh, dental. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned earlier that leaves me wanting more with Cassian's character is that line where he says, you're not the only one who lost everything to her. Uh, the scene should have ended there. The fact that she turned around and said, it's wrong what you did. Like, just drop it already. <laughs> uh, yeah, some of the melodrama here between them isn't great. Naked Vader is fantastic to see. Uh, <laughs> that sounded wrong, but I wrote in my notes as Naked Vader. You know, that's... Um, something that they put in the movie so that they could explain uh, this goes all the way back we might get into a little bit or I'll probably forget by the time we get to episode 5 but because James Earl Jones did the voice of Darth Vader and because he was wearing a black costume people assumed that Darth Vader was supposed to be black underneath his mask that the character Darth Vader that Obi-Wan says betrayed his father was a black character so George Lucas showed him in the flesh so that when he said, I'm your father, there wouldn't be confusion. That was because people legitimately had this visual of Darth Vader under the suit as a black man. Uh, but it is cool to see that to tie it into Empire later on because we get introduced to Vader, you know, the the flesh Vader for the first time in the same way with his helmet off, his, you know, costume off, his armor off. Uh, and him being on Mustafar, like, it's not just because this ties it into the prequels. Like, that was the one real big surprise in this movie. Obviously, like, the, I didn't expect to see Red Leader, Gold Leader, and the, the Cantina guys. But those are, like, brief cameos. Seeing Mustafar was that moment where you're like, ah, oh, it's Mustafar. But it actually puts 
the relationship between Vader and the Emperor in a completely different context. Like, it sounds like a joke, but as soon as I saw that, I visualized after Revenge of the Sith ends, the Emperor being disappointed in Vader is like, I turned to the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy, and now I've got a guy with mechanical limbs. <laughs> Like, as if he said, you go back to that planet where your wife died, and you think about what you've done. <laughs> and when you've sat in <laughs> the corner title. long enough, yeah, it's like, when you've sat in the corner long enough, I'll let you come back to Coruscant. But you realize that basically is what he's done. Like, it's one of two things you can interpret it either way. You could say that Vader, in his own grief, you know, can't leave here. Like, he's, he's, he hates himself so much now that he's forcing himself to make this his palace. Or you could say this is a psychological game the Emperor is playing where he's like, Vader, you must stay on Mustafar. What is going to make Vader stay loyal to him is the fact that Vader's constantly being reminded of this terrible thing that happened. And, think about you know, fire when you think of your own burns. Think about what exactly, burnt you. Exactly, yeah. But, but it, it puts that in a different context. Like Emperor is playing a psychological game with Vader by putting him on Mustafar. Uh, and I, I still do, I like that line that don't choke on your aspirations, Krennic. Like, yes, it's cheesy. It is a Bond line. (laughs) It is totally a Bond line. I had just watched From Russia with Love the night before. Like, I watched this this morning, and I watched From Russia with Love last night. And just as I was watching From Russia with Love, Jamie asked, what's your favorite one-liner from this movie? I'm like, you know, this is probably my second favorite James Bond movie of all time, and I don't know if there's a great one-liner in this movie. So it was great to wake up in the morning and get a good James Bond one-liner <laughs> <laughs> from Star Wars, of all things. And from Darth Vader. And Darth Vader, yeah. Uh, what other James Bond one-liners could Darth Vader have done? <laughs> Sorry! Sorry! <laughs> <laughs> Thought I'd forgotten you, eh? <laughs> Come here, old buddy. <laughs> We're picking all the worst James Bond lines that only listeners of Double Oz 7 would know. I don't it's like, not like cockfights. Uh, <laughs> it's not like hello pussy <laughs> it's just a bit of sport Obi-Wan uh, uh, that's fun to think about I Vader must be dreaming um, I also like the idea of not having force powers but kind of picking up things because um, Chirrut says something where, when Jin realizes he's going to kill her father Chirrut says something about, you know, there's a darkness in the force around a person who's about to kill. And you realize this doesn't make sense. Like, if you're looking at it from the point of view of the force, Yoda actually says the dark side clouds everything. Uh, And then K2 says, plus his uh, rifle was in the sniper position. Um, And I don't know whether that's a thing about, you know, uh, Chirrut being a bit of a conning, like saying... You know, oh, I have the force powers because there are even when he's saying like I'm one with the force, of force with me. Can we also say how iconic that line is? Like, if there's yeah. one thing that people came out of this movie, you developed a new version of "May the Force be with you." With the, I am one with the force, the force is with me. Um, but I, his whole character's arc is like 100% faith in the force, and because they're removed from the Jedi, and you realize, well, they probably don't even like that's honest. Trailers even says it. That's not how the force works. Like they work that in there. But that's kind of the point of his character. Like, he is blind, so he has these different senses. He probably heard him do the click into the sniper position of the rifle. But yet, in his mind, he's like, I have force powers. And it's not meant as a joke. Like, later on, we'll get to his death and how I think that really makes the point of the character. Like, he just believes he has force powers, but he necessarily doesn't. 
uh, but or maybe it's something about just the, the force itself still works even if you don't have the powers, you know, to kind of uh, uh, operate uh, it, its its fate or its destiny or whatever. But there's just a lot of great stuff about the force in this movie. Um, I don't know. Do we? I guess the the speech leads to the group of men saying we'll go with you, and then the Rogue One thing. The other characters that go along. I mean, we don't really get to know any of them. <laughs> um, maybe you could have included one more character. It just sort of seems like it's the guys that were on the mission with Jin and then a bunch of random dudes. Like, how do these random dudes fit in? <laughs> uh, maybe you can include the Ben Daniels character. Maybe you have Jimmy Smith's say, you know, I talked to a couple of my men and they decided to come along because now there's suddenly all these other people and they try to build it up like Cassian even has that that pep talk, which is another one of the really good lines in the movie. He says, make 10 mean men feel like 100. Mm-hmm. It's a great line, but you're like, well, who, who are these other guys? Like, I don't know who they are. What are they doing there? Are they just like, well, he, he promised us dental, so we decided to come. <laughs> like, who knows? <laughs> uh, but still, I like the moment of them all coming together. I think we sound like we're being more critical of this movie than we are. More than anything, I'm giving this movie credit for pulling it together what clearly you can see where the mess was. Uh, but we're about to get to all the incredible stuff here. So criticism is pretty much ended now. The guy with the radar gun is Corporal Osleo Prennett, <laughs> who is on sentry duty. And apparently the device is used to scan ships as they come in and out to see basically uh if they should be landing on the planet or not but i have to say oh you mean his kid was right yeah pretty much um but i i have to say um the there's a reddit uh thread which isn't that funny but i found a website here I, I, this is stack exchange where they ask questions so somebody's asked a question what is he doing there why is he aiming at the millennium falcon somebody's replied He's rebel paparazzi trying to get the scope on the Falcon touching down in the yap for the Yavin Daily. Uh, somebody else has gone radar gun. Han is about to get a ticket in the mail, uh, and then yeah. somebody else has replied, "Pew pew, got ya." Uh, um, and then I maybe just it's also- not. Maybe that's like. What if that's his his smartphone on a selfie stick? Like that's the <laughs> he's just like me on Yavin. <laughs> I also like on the side here other questions that are related. So you have um, uh, who owns the Millennium Falcon? Uh, what is the intended crew complement of the Millennium Falcon? How does hand control it? Uh, but then you got hot network questions. All right, what can we do about our nine month old putting fingers down his throat? Uh, <laughs> followed by. Did Dirty Harry feel lucky? <laughs> it doesn't end in punk. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, just there you go. So that is um, Corporal Osleo Prennett. Uh, of course. Oh, I hope he story. has. I, I know he has an action figure. Oh, I hope he has a spin-off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Prennett coming soon to Disney Plus. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're going to lump up everything in the most awesome section of this movie yeah. right at the end. And, like, to be honest, like, there's epic stuff, but I think still this is probably going to be fairly quick to talk about just because a lot of this is action and a lot of this I feel you yeah. need to actually watch uh, to... I like four <laughs> sentences of notes left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we, are, we are going to Scarif, and I love the look of Scarif. Scarif is beautiful. Yeah. Um, I agree with you what you're saying about how this movie does the planets right. Um 
I like this whole sequence where they're going to like the big shield gate. It's very Return of the Jedi uh, with the code. Uh, and I I love K2 when they're kind of like, what happens if this goes wrong? And it's like, oh, we'll, we'll just be destroyed and, you know, killed in the vast vacuum of space. And Katu's like, not me. I can survive in space. Yeah, I can breathe in space. <laughs> oh, I love him. He's so good. Um, I just so- wish he'd follow that up with, do you know what the probability is of your head exploding as soon as you're jettisoned in the vacuum of space? <laughs> it's high. It's very high. Uh, so they get through the shield. Uh, they land. So uh, Cassian and Jin go and K2 go into uh, the tower. They've, um, uh, I guess, t- stolen the clothes of these empires. Because, again, in the empire, the clothes always fit. Like, they're always perfect size. Uh, we'll obviously talk about that in the next movie as well. Um, so they go into the tower. Meanwhile, uh, everyone else is sort of uh, charged with putting bombs on things and getting um, everything working. Um, they find out that basically when they get into this tower that they have to um, transmit up to the rebel ships. They have to bring the shield down and do it through the dish. Essentially, that's the only way they're going to be able to get it up. So the, the crew on the beach have to... Uh, find a master switch to turn off the shield, and then they have to move the satellite dish to move it. So it's, it's very golden eye, um, everyone. Mm-hmm. Just uh, this is where we're going to see Trevelyan and everything going on here. So, I mean, again, like, this is just epic, everything that's going on here when we kind of get this battle going on. I, I, it's very Saving Private Ryan warish on the beach when sort of the shots are going off. Um, and, you know, the, the stormtroopers coming, the Imperial walkers. I love that moment when, like, the, they throw a bomb at the head of that walker and it kind of tilts oh, the head and then it looks back as if to say, like, fuck you, bitch. Um, mm-hmm. And then the uh, X-Wings come along and blow it up. Is that, that's not a, like, because obviously in Empire they have to destroy them by using the, the tow cables, but they, they don't have X-Wings there. So is that kind of the only reason why they can't blast through the armor? Yeah, well, I think those well, the snow speeders we kind of see them um being used for their purpose when they're on Hoth of literally just transporting. I mean, they don't even technically fly, they sort of just hover. Mhm. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was kind of watching that going, hang on, I, mean, I thought the armor was too strong to destroy, but never mind. Um so and basically everyone on the spoiler alert, well not really, if you're listening to this, you've you've watched the damn movie. Everyone's going to die. And like, I mean, we knew yeah. I think we knew this because mm-hmm. none of these people are going to appear in anything from this moving forward. So basically don't get your hopes up. Don't get too connected to these people because they're all going to get blown up. And basically everyone does. Um, so, you know, they're getting blown up in the ship with grenades and getting shot and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, it's sad, but um, we knew it was going to happen. I do like the the whole um, the X-Wings, as you said, like, you know, gold leader and all these sort of people. I think that, <laughs> that looks really good. Like, I, I think it's something that yeah. you don't really... Like, you think they've just gotten a lookalike? Um, well, I think re- with those ones, they, they literally just cut the original performance yeah. out and put a new ship around them, yeah. Which I think that's really clever, because it doesn't... Unlike Tarkin, like, where you can sort of... You can tell every now and then this you can't. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's really, really good about that, that it kind of... And I think, you know, it just it's so quick and brief. And, you know, someone like Mallory, who hadn't seen A New Hope when she watched this, like, you know, she doesn't have a clue who they are, but it's kind of cool mm-hmm. that that connects. So when you don't know, it's, you know, it's cool. Um, I also love how it's like the women and the black pilots are all the ones who are getting blown up on the gate. Is that their way of saying, like, oh, this is explains yeah. <laughs> why there's no women or black pilots in A New Hope, because they all died at this gate. Like, well, let's not forget aliens too, because we don't true. see aliens until Return of the Jedi. Yeah, so uh, that's a very good point. Like that, that, that probably is why they they do that. Um, 
Meanwhile, Cassian and uh, Gina in this giant archives uh, library disc section where they're trying to find this giant hard drive. It's bloody big, the technology back in, a, <laughs> yeah. in Star Wars. Like, I think I haven't seen that in a computer in about 15 years. Um, so they, they find it. Uh, K2's outside holding off all the uh, the stormtroopers and eventually he uh, he dies because he can't hold them off any longer. So they tell him how to get the the file and get it up to the roof of this, well, the, the top of the antenna, essentially, to, to transmit this. Through all of this, though, like, I mean, what is making this so epic is like, yeah, the beach stuff is incredible, sort of the shootouts that's going on there between the troopers and uh, the rebellion. But just the space battle stuff is just yeah incredible. Like, we talked about in the And Avengers. again, it's... Well, I was going to say, it's filmed to look like it was done with models. Like, Not that it doesn't, it looks like models, but the angles they pick, the the way the ships move, it's not like so CGI. It looks like this is the same, you know, film crew that would do A New Hope. I'm pretty sure was it you or Noah said that, like, you feel there's not enough space battles in Star Wars, like, you know, and you always Mm -hmm. relish them when they happen, and... I mean, I'd go out on a limb and say maybe this is some of the best, maybe not the best sort of space action that we get in any of the Star Wars films. Because, like, I mean, we get some great stuff at the beginning of the Revenge of the Sith. I really like the Return of the Jedi stuff. Obviously, the trench run in A New Hope, but that really doesn't actually go for that long if you kind of analyse how long that goes for. Um, but, like, this is epic. Like, And as you said, it looks mm-hmm. the way they've gone out of their way to kind of make it look old school and not just go completely CGI. And this is why, like, I mean, this is actually maybe about 45 minutes of the final movie, not just half an hour. But this is, this is to me, where, like, as I said before, like, this is just the epic stuff. If this whole movie was like this, I, again, would be like, yes, this is as good as Empire because it's it's so good. But just, like, everything here is going by so quickly because you're just enjoying everything, the the, the space battles and the visuals just look incredible. Um, the um, uh, what the Admiral Akbar race of aliens as well. Yeah, kind of. and Mon Calamari, yeah. I love the way they've kind of got that glass floor looking down at the planet. just looks fantastic. Everything's so good. Um, meanwhile, Jin gets to the top of the, the tower. She, uh, moves the, um, the satellite dish. We've also got that great moment in the, the battle in space where the, the rebel ship pushes the Star Destroyer into another Star Destroyer. Just looks epic. So good. I, I just, just absolutely incredible. So they get the shields down. They're able to transmit it up and, uh, they get it up there. Uh, Carrick and, and Jin have a bit of a, uh, stand down. Um, which she wants to go back and kill him, um, which I kind of like, you know, Cassian like, no, leave him, because for some reason we just need to get him dying in a Death Star blast. It's more poignant, I guess. Um, so they, the Death Star sends a beam down to destroy uh, the remnants of everything going on here. But it's just, I mean, everything here is just literally getting us set up to, you know, ugly one of the greatest scenes in all of Star Wars movies, let's be honest. Um, I will say that, um, you know, poor old Jin and that die on the beach. It's very deep impact. Uh, they're kind of on the beach waiting for the explosion, getting ready to kill them. Um, the rebels get the, the Death Star plans. It's put on a little, uh, flash drive <laughs> as they're trying to get through the door. And then we get them all just, uh, turning around, standing there. The, the Star Destroyer steals them, steals them, uh, captures them. We get this dark tunnel. And then we just see this lightsaber just go vroom. And then, oh, what a what a scene. Like, how can you talk this scene and give this credit enough scene? This is oh. just Star Wars orgasm central. Um, yeah. Just the most amazing scene in this entire movie with Vader just 
badass with his hand and the force and the lightsaber and just killing everyone. And even that bit when uh, the the last rebel kind of like holds the the plan, passes it through the door, and then he just gets stabbed through the door mm-hmm. uh, as the door opens. Um, I do love on how it should have ended. They kind of show that why doesn't Vader just use the force to steal the um the the disc back? And it's like, <laughs> got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> And of course, all this leads to the few of the the rebels uh, running out the door, escaping from the uh, grasp of the star destroyer. We've got Vader overlooking the 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 ship as it goes away. Again, he's standing in space. Why isn't he sucked out of space? Like this space worked differently in Star Wars. Magnetic boots. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> uh, no. I have something interesting. Well, I'll just say it now. Um, we could say this when we get to New Hope, but might as well because it's basically the same scene here. Uh, the whole reason Darth Vader's costume exists is because the character Darth Vader was supposed to be a real flesh man in uh, A New Hope in the original Star Wars movie. And George Lucas originally had a scene where when Vader's ship was overtaking Leia's ship, you couldn't just walk through a door. You actually would have to transport yourself through space, like float through space and climb on the hull of the ship and then climb on board. And the costume of Vader's was actually designed just for that one scene where Vader would have to be outside in space boarding Leia's ship. Hmm. Uh, and they liked the look of it enough. They says, well, let's just make this the character the whole time. Interesting. There you go. Things I learn in this. Uh, so maybe it podcast. is practical. Maybe it does have magnetic boots. Maybe. Maybe it does. Um, and so basically they, they the ship escapes, the rebels come down the corridor. Now we're really on a new hope just with the look of this ship, the look of the rebels, everything about this just looking, you know. And this, this is a bit, again, where I'm watching the movies going, oh, my God, we're going to see it. We're going to see something here. This is going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they run down the corridor, go on the door. You see the back of uh, Princess Leia. And again, I thought that was kind of going to be it. Like, oh, cool. You saw yeah. the back of her. Like, awesome. But then they spin it around, and then we have a very digitally altered uh, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. And I've got to say, I don't think this actually looks that bad. I think that this one yeah. looks actually pretty realistic. Um, I mean, it's one ha- shot compared to about, you know, yeah. 35 <laughs> with Tarkin. Rebel hands her the disc, and, uh, you know, what is this? And she looks into the camera, Hope! And then we see... And everybody else goes, hope, hope, <laughs> hope, hope, hope. <laughs> and the everybody now, hope, <laughs> hope, 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 hope. A new hope. <laughs> um, we go into light speed and written and directed, boom. Uh, I tell you what, though, the way this ends, I really hope they make a sequel to this movie because I feel like there's probably some things that they could discuss after what happens. Don't know about you, but I- I'm-, I'm hopeful. Uh, hopeful? Are you hopeful? <laughs> hopeful. <laughs> uh, but yeah, e- epic way to end. And I mean, as I said before, I-, I straight away went into a new hope. Hope. Um, and like, I think I remember when this got released on uh, Blu-ray that people started putting up on YouTube. They combined the final scene with this with the opening scene of a new hope, like taking out all the credits and everything. It- it's seamless. It really is seamless. So um, just such an epic. Way. And again, I-, I realize I've kind of done that very quickly. But as I said before, like it's. There's not a lot of stuff really to talk about outside of the action. There's a few bits here and there, yeah. but it's just, yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I really don't have much notes left here. Uh, a, a couple of things when they're they're leaving and um, uh, not when Jin and Cassie and everybody are leaving, but when they kind of, you know, realize, oh, they're on Scarif. We can go and we can beat them in this battle. 
and all the ships are taking off like first of all how great is it seeing the yavin base and those ships being prepared again with like the fuel lines mm, being put yep. in and the droids being like yep. it's it takes you back to a new hope and they just did such a good job with the set but then when the the other big surprise of this movie uh, as far as cameos go, when it pans across and you see 3PO and R2, and it's like, uh, why yeah. doesn't nobody ever t- tell me anything, R2? It was just amazing. Because um, that's what I thought that the final shot was actually going to be. Like, I wasn't yeah, expecting same. Leia there. Um, I thought that, even though I'd seen the Tarka thing earlier on, I wasn't, when they had those plans, I thought this was going to end with, you know, maybe you saw somebody in a Leia costume, like a droid, come over here, droid, that's how it would end. Or that they'd actually start from the point of view of, you know, 3P and R2 as uh, this this battle is going on with the 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 ship or as it's going into hyperspace. Um, but, uh, yeah, like everybody gets their role in the battle stuff here, which... As much as I'm saying, like, they could have done more with these characters. I mean, you only have so much time in a two-hour movie. You probably could have cut one or two of these characters. I think some of my criticism of they could have done this with the character is just if you're going to include all these and you're going to introduce ideas, follow through with it. Or just give some of these characters less purpose. Um, But the character of Bodhi, especially with the defector, I really do get what you're saying now about you forget he's a defector. Because there should be a lack of trust with him as well. Mm. Uh, And you could have really done that with both him and Jin. it's like that's the reason why they wouldn't go along with this mission that's why it, don't have all the rebels who have been fighting this for 20 years saying it's time we give up <laughs> have them say okay we like this plan but there is no way we're trusting this girl raised by a terrorist and this guy who was you know a stormtrooper or a pilot for the empire you know 48 hours ago uh that would have improved the ending a little bit more um as i said maybe have jimmy smith pull the the crew together at the end and at least give that blessing uh yeah what scarif is the best planet of all the disney movies by far mm-hmm. uh not just the look of it like taking an environment because sure you do sand you do snow you do jungle how many other things you can do this is different it looks like tropical in a way but even just the, the idea of the shield because we know about the whole shield protecting a planet from well i guess empire strikes back has that a little bit and return of the jedi it becomes the whole point of you know disabling a shield but now we actually get to see this practical function saying we're going to have a shield protecting the whole planet and there's really only one entry point it's just about guarding that entry point even that's something we haven't seen in stars before and i think that's the thing i like best about this battle because you can do a space battle you know a million times and at some point it's all going to feel the same you need something different whether it is a death star or you know, in the case of Revenge of the Sith, they put little things in there like the buzz droids to make it feel different uh, instead of just, you know, ships fighting in space. Uh, here you just have Star Destroyers, but having that gate that they're fighting around, it, it's something visually that was interesting to look at. And it, it created a storyline for characters like, you know, Admiral Raddus, this, you know, uh, cousin of Admiral Hackbar that we see where they realize this Star Destroyer just simply got disabled. And that's going to come up again in Return of the Jedi when a Star Destroyer just crashes into um, the the Death Star. But you see where that idea came from here because they just say, well, let's give this ship a little bit of a shove. And then that pushes into another one, which pushes into the gate. So it's not just a great space battle as far as like the action goes or that they they filmed it in a similar similar style to the way that the, the A New Hope space battles were filmed. It's the fact that the story that's going on there has purpose and is just as exciting as what's going on on the planet. Because if I have one major complaint about the last 
you know, third of Return of the Jedi. It's that I couldn't care less about any of the stuff that's happening on the planet. I want the space stuff. I want the throne room. Here, everything's evil, equal because the the stuff that the the ships are doing in space is incredible. The ground battle's incredible. And the mission of Jin and Cassian and K2 is incredible. You would think them, as Honest Trailers even kind of poke fun of, you know, we're going to use these little claws to grab a data tape and then climb the little tower. They're really not doing much. There's not a lot of action here, but the things they do, they do well. And this, I'll give Gareth Edwards, if it was Gareth Edwards that did this, um, give him total credit because Godzilla does not have a lot of exciting action. Um, hmm. There's a couple of really good sequences in there where you can see where a director's vision made it work, like the um, the bridge sequence in Godzilla. Uh, that was incredible. and um, Or was it train tra- like a train track bridge or something like that, whatever that was. But you know the sequence I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it had this visual look to it, or the, the, the skydiving sequence, like things that just made it look different. And the way that he films them climbing this tower is fantastic. And all they're doing is just climbing a tower. And then when you know, the little door opens up and you see, oh, there's somebody up there and they have to shoot quick. And even just the way that Jin has to move through those doors that keep opening and closing, which if people are going to make fun of the Phantom Menace for the force fields that just open and close for no reason, the same thing's happening here. Why are these little hatches open and close? It reminds me again so much of Galaxy Quest where it's, you know, (laughs) why are those chompers there? This makes no sense. Uh, Whoever wrote this episode deserves to die. (laughs) But, um... It's such a cool move the way she has to like move through that. So even in very static action, Gareth Edwards does a really good job. The ground battle is the best stuff though. Uh, and I completely agree with you. Like I miss space battles in Star Wars. We didn't get one in The Force Awakens. We got a little bit of one in Last Jedi. Revenge of the Sith is really the last time we had like a big massive space battle. Uh, but Rogue One, I mean, it, it does such a good job with it. But the ground battle is what really surprised me because – I don't feel like ground battles are ever that exciting in Star Wars movies either, partly because, like, in, in if you look at Revenge of the Sith, they have, like, 16 ground battles, so you're never really getting to see one for more than a few minutes, like with the Wookiees. Um, Force Awakens, you know, there's not much happening on the ground. It's, it's just sort of a few characters there, and then the ships kind of are part of that ground battle. But this, I would actually put this above anything in the original trilogy. So if you're taking the Battle of Hoth, the ground battle in Empire Strikes Back, I would put this ground battle above that. This is the single greatest ground battle in Star Wars history because of the visual look of it, the setting, the fact that all the characters are doing something interesting. I mean, it's everything that I think the ground battle in Return of the Jedi just slightly misses on um, with uh, Chirrut and Baze or Gunny McShoot face, sorry. (laughs) You know, that, that move where he's walking through the blaster fire like I'm one with the Force, the Force would be, and then he gets shot. Like, just going back to what I was saying about this character who maybe has uh, uh, the wrong idea about the Force. He doesn't understand. It's his job to preserve this, but even still, the the knowledge of what the Force really is has been slightly lost. He believes that the Force can save him, and it actually doesn't. But it's the fact that he was willing to take that leap of faith where Baze comes back. It's like That's that's like the big heroic moment of the movie, where Baze all of a sudden, after denying this the entire movie, and then his friend dies, he's I'm one with the Force, the Force with me, and he goes in and saves the day. It's just awesome. Um I'm curious about uh, what they. At what point did you? You said you kind of thought that they would all die. Did you actually think going in, well, all these characters are going to die, or was it sort of like, oh, I don't think the main characters are going? Because for me, 
I went into the movie thinking, well, I know these main characters aren't going to live, but maybe some of the supporting ones that we see, like the the pilot or you know uh, the droid, will live to the end, and you they could just be written out by not being part of the rebellion anymore. Or did did you have that moment where you clued in? Okay, everybody's about to die here. I just assumed everyone's going to die. Like I just I just okay. literally thought like you know because I I just didn't think. Like, to me, it didn't make sense that you keep anyone alive and, all oh, they go off and live happily yeah. ever after on Naboo because, I mean, it's kind of like, well, you never yeah. see them again. Like, so... Oh, they're never mentioned. Like, if, if one of them was mentioned or something like that, but no, I just yeah. I assumed they was going to die. Well, I mean, I think I didn't originally because I saw this as a standalone spin-off movie, but then as you start to watch the movie and you realize how much care Gareth Edwards wanted this to not just be a companion to A New Hope, he wanted this to be the first half of A New Hope that somehow you didn't get to see before. Like, this was always intended to be part of the story. And that's why he has characters like Jimmy Smith's and, you know, Tarkin come... I love we just call him Jimmy Smith. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's who he is. Jimmy Smith. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're not just in the movie. They're in the movie for a couple of scenes because if they were just in the movie here, it would feel like, well, this is a cameo because this is, like, you know, a companion piece. But he wants this to be the continuing story, so he includes them as major characters here. So I kind of thought as I was watching this movie, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's going to make sense to have these characters live now because then if this really does work so perfectly as the companion piece to A New Hope, you're going to be watching A New Hope later saying, well, where's Jin? But I did think characters like maybe Chirrut and Gunny McShootface, you know, <laughs> since they weren't really part of this in the first place, they'd be like, well, we've done our part. Now it's time to go back to our temple and guard those wills or whatever it is they do. They should have um, all just gotten on a ship at the end. They all should have survived. And said, all right, where should we go? Oh, Alderaan's nearby. Let's go hide yeah. out there for a few hours. <laughs> I've heard good things about Naboo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the moment where it clued into me was actually the first death. Because I think K2 is the first character to die, if I'm right. Yes. And it was the fact that he died because you, you could clearly tell they wanted to set him up to be the scene-stealing character. So when you have a character like that that dies, it's going to happen right before the end of the movie. Or he would be the character that dies you know, just before Jin and Cassian go up to that platform and are confronted by Krennic. Uh, you don't kill him first. So as soon as he died, I'm like, oh, wait, they're going to kill everybody here. Uh, even though I kind of suspected at least the main ones would die. Uh, th- that kind of makes it obvious. Although it, it's not like it loses any of its effect. It's still incredibly powerful. That's one of the things that works so well about the last act of this movie is how powerful it is to watch a story where all the characters die. I mean, this is like Saving Private Ryan, like you said, or Black Hawk Down. You know you know that nobody's making this out of this movie alive. And if somebody does, it's it's sort of a question of which character will survive, not which one's going to die. Um yeah, they don't lose the fun. I think that's the thing that maybe the first two thirds of this movie were I kind of had me worried when I was watching this in the like the first time around. Is is there any fun left in Star Wars? Because the action sequences we saw were very heavy. As I said, they weren't very physical for the actors. They were kind of brief. And here we get the battle stuff. I mean, yes, it's dark, it's serious, but it's still fun to watch things like. The, the, the AT-AT walker getting shot in the head and then turning its head. Like, that feels like something you'd see in Star Wars. And just the shots of them, you know, storming through these beaches with the trees around them. It's just, it's amazing. Um, and then the moments where all the ships suddenly come and it's like, red leader, gold leader. It's not just seeing those cameos, which, by the way, that was sort of like, I remember... It, it was it was very odd. I, I talked a lot about in the prequels the experience of seeing this in the theater and how, despite seeing Attack of the Clones something like you know sixteen times in the theater, every single time, even if there were four people in the theater or it was sold out, 
every single time you got like applause or people cheering when Yoda, you know, broke out the lightsaber uh, months after the movie. With this, it was like you could hear about 25% of the theater just burst out laughing when it's like, red leader, gold leader, are you there? <laughs> and the other 75%, what are they laughing at? You know, <laughs> But it was such a cool moment as a fan to be like, oh, they've got the original red leader in there. Uh, and it's, it's a very cool effect that they they do with that, like you know, sort of cutting the ship around and sort of cutting the line out there. Oh, we we I can't believe we almost missed this. K two getting in the elevator and saying, "I have a bad feeling." Uh. Like, Shut up, K two, <laughs> before he gets the full <laughs> line out. Which yeah. it's it's kind of cool that like that is the line in Star Wars, and yet in the two anthology movies we had, they don't quite fit the line, and they're like. We're going to pay tribute to the line, but we're going to save that for the episodes. But that was so good. I have a bad feeling about... Shut up! <laughs> Except for The Last uh, Jedi, which, anyway, that's another story. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that they kept that out of that movie. Um, well, they yeah, technically the start, didn't, start... but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, can't wait till we get to that. Uh, that's going to be our longest episode, I feel like. Um, yeah, the, the, um, the other question I have, though, like... I never really looked at this as covering a plot hole, like the whole, because I think, again, the way I saw as a kid is a new hope. They said, we analyze their attack and there's a danger. You can kind of say that with anything. It's like, oh, they're going for something we didn't consider. Like any engineer could miss something. You know, you could say, well, it's a hole or whatever. They say it's like an exhaust port or something. It's just they happen to have this one exhaust port that led to the reactor. What I see is more of a plot hole in this movie is Tarkin deciding to destroy the planet afterwards. So this is their security facility, and when Jin's going through the archives and they pick out Stardust, because that's what her her dad would always say to her, they're mentioning all these other things like, you know, um, what was it like, uh, Cluster Cloud and Dark Saber, I think, is one of them. Which you know, this kind of a nod to some other stuff in uh, Star Wars books and comics. Uh, there's like a million things in there, and you realize this is their data bank where they keep all their secret information. And this is just simply one of the many secret plans they've hidden there. So when they transmit the one plan, it's not like Jin says, we're transmitting everything out of here. And he's like, well, this place is no good to us anymore. They transmit one plan. And then Tarkin, I'm guessing the whole purpose is to end the battle. He's like, you know, human life means nothing. I don't care if we're killing some of our guys. If we blow up Scara for the, the, the whole security base there, we'll kill whatever rebels are there. But you're destroying everything that you, the Empire has. <laughs> Like, like that's the point should we not back you. those up, sir? Like, just shut up and yeah, destroy it. <laughs> yeah. uh, at least give me a couple seconds to put it on Google Drive. No, now. <laughs> but that's sir, I haven't uploaded those photos. Just do it. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's got some bad stuff on there. Like this is where Tarkin puts all of his sex tapes or something, or all of his uh, his his nude pics of him and his his many wives or something. <laughs> um, yeah. He's hiding something. That's that. Now we know what he's up to. But that is a plot hole. I don't know how that's never been brought up. That they destroy everything that the Empire has secretly saved, all their other plans. Um, but still, it makes Tarkin seem like that much, you know, crazier of a villain when you get to the next one. Uh, the final showdown with Krennic is great, but like Krennic is a villain who's who's all about preserving, you know, his legacy. I love that he has that speech. The one part I like is I love that he has that speech where he says, "What have you actually accomplished?" He's like. All you're really going to do is just slow us down. Like it, uh, the Death Star is still there. We still have all the power. But it's the fact that when he gets there, he stops and asks, who are you? <laughs> like I would understand that in The Force Awakens because everybody keeps asking, who is this girl? What is her purpose? Who's the girl? Wh- 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 who, who? What did she do? How could she have this power? 
they don't even know who she is. Like, Krennic has not seen her. Maybe she was in the middle of a battle. If she had been built up to the Empire, like, there's this girl they have, and she's led them here. He doesn't know she's led them there. But he pauses and asks this. And that's why I think maybe that's one of the things that w- was cut from this movie through all the the reshoots. Because it's just it, it has way too much purpose, yet he shouldn't care. He should just be pulling the trigger. And you wonder why he isn't pulling the trigger and why he's bothering to ask that. Um, the Vader stuff, I mean, you can't say enough good things about that. Let's all struggle with music. I can't believe I haven't talked about the music up until this point. I listened to the Rogue One soundtrack to death. And I like the soundtrack to Force Awakens. I like the soundtrack to The Last Jedi a lot more. But John Williams is really missing something with these sequel movies. And granted, I understand he's like almost 90 or something, and he's going to be retiring after episode nine. But Michael Giacchino, I I know when J.J. Abrams was signed to do The Force Awakens, I thought to myself, I don't know if I could ever accept a Star Wars movie that John Williams isn't doing the music for. But Michael Giacchino, the idea of him doing the music for Star Wars was too exciting you know, to, to, to not almost hope for John Williams' death. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but it's like, if John Williams... Oh, so I would Mark never Hamill want... and John Williams. Stop it, Colin. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, I would never want John Williams to die. I'm not saying that, but like, the way, basically what I'm saying is, the only way I, I think anybody would ever accept John Williams not doing a Star Wars score is if he were dead. And I kind of said that with like, uh, Harrison Ford, you know, nobody would ever accept them recasting Indiana Jones or Han Solo unless Harrison Ford were dead, which is why people had a hard time with, uh, oh, now he's dead too. Great. Um, but uh, it's just, I love what he did with Rogue One so much more than any of the other recent Star Wars movies. And it sounds so traditional, Star Wars. Like it sounds like a 70s soundtrack. But the one point where he really breaks and makes it sound different is the Vader sequence. The music there with like the choir, like it almost sounds something very Duel of the Fates or Battle of the Heroes like. That music is just incredible. It adds so much to that scene. And the fact that we see Vader in the shadows with just the lightsaber and it's just flashes of him. Again, it's like it's like the 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 battle with Count Dooku in um, uh, Attack of the Clones, where you're just seeing those little flashes. Everything about that sequence is done right. The fact that he's sort of confined by this hallway and yet you still see him like throwing guys around like it's everything you always wanted to see vader do even the original trilogy hear how powerful he is and you're like i want to see him do more that is the greatest vader scene we have ever seen not just in recent movies or post original trilogy that is the greatest vader scene of all time and and even just the, the way that he gets to the edge as you said he should be sucked out into space but he's just sort of looking out and you hear the imperial march playing they're like the dun 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 it's just amazing like it gives me chills every single time i could hate i don't i could hated everything else in this movie and that one sequence would have been enough for me to be like i'm buying this movie you know (laughs) like that's how good it is uh and then seeing them racing like that's the other thing i don't think i really fully comprehended how well this would play into a new hope until i saw those guys passing the plans one to the other through these doors because you get this was a real race. And like when you look at the opening crawl of A New Hope, they talk about, you know, uh, the rebel spies and they talk about they've won their first battle. And you realize this is the first time the rebels have actually ever beaten the Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet they're barely fleeing with their lives. And that opening of the next one where everybody's standing in the hallway and they're just like waiting for the stormtroopers to blast the door open and waiting for Vader to come in. You got to realize these are the same guys who are racing through those doors, which when you watch the beginning of A New Hope, 
you almost see fear in their eyes. It's, I remember um, going into or after walking out of the Phantom Menace and watching A New Hope the next day and just looking at Anakin in a slightly different way because you no longer just see him as the villain. You actually see, oh, he was this boy or it, not even talking about how they portray Anakin in A Phantom Menace, but you just looked at him differently. And it's the same reaction when you see those guys in the corridor at the beginning of A New Hope and they've just got those guns. Like you see fear of what's about to come, which is just, oh, it's just amazing. Uh, and the Leia shot, yeah, it doesn't look that bad, probably because it is one shot. That I was surprised about, but um, it's the perfect way to end the movie. And and really, that's the last time, you know, <laughs> were uh, Carrie Fisher wasn't involved in that. Uh, did, did she even do the voice with that? I know they did. They could no. have had her because this filmed before she died. But like, why did they not even get the voice? Because they knew that she was going to be part of this movie. She's a bit older and scratchier on her voice isn't she should be like hi well, no, yo, yeah exactly <laughs> help <laughs> uh, no i okay i get that but uh, i guess the motion like you could have had her do the motion capture for it or something um the, the reason i kind of bring that up is because of the mention of darth vader's voice that you know yeah james earl jones sounds older but you can do a lot of things with sound editing. I mean, we could re-edit this episode to make you sound like Princess Leia and me sound like Darth Vader if we wanted to. I remember playing around with audio recording stuff like after Revenge of the Sith came out. And, you know, I, I got like a microphone for the first time and I would record myself doing Star Wars lines. I'm like, I'm going to make my I'm going to record myself as General Grievous lines and then play with this so I can make myself sound like General Grievous. And I'm going to do it as Vader. Uh, like you could do a lot like you could have made Vader sound younger. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just I don't understand why Carrie Fisher had no involvement in this whatsoever. Um, but you know, I'm not going to complain about it. It's one shot in the movie. So uh, let's just address what we're going to get to in a couple more weeks. Um, you can't track somebody through hyperspace. <laughs> Vader just did. Then I ran out of fuel. Yeah, Lane's <laughs> ship goes into hyperspace at the end of this. There's no oh. tracking beacon or anything. It breaks away. Vader's left standing there. The next movie picks up, what, 10 minutes later, half an hour later? Who cares how long uh, long later it is? Vader tracked them through hyperspace. So another one against The Last Jedi. But, um, Star Wars, the yeah. universe where technology significantly gets worse in the future rather exactly. than actually better. We saw it in the prequels, it's, and as time goes on, it gets worse. It's like how, how you know, the Chirrut and Gunny McShoot face have forgotten a little bit about the force just enough that where it's not quite they don't write they don't know exactly the way it was they kind of forgot how to track somebody through hyperspace for about 20 30 years i was going to say mallory thought that um gunny mcshoot face was carrying a giant vacuum cleaner around most of the time uh she's he's a janitor <laughs> yeah just, just sweeping up things sweeping up all the sand Coarse and rough and irritating and gets everywhere. (laughs) Um, So this was a pretty big hit in terms of critical and box office. Uh, 84% it has on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, saying that it draws deep on Star Wars mythology while breaking new narrative and aesthetic ground and suggesting a bright blockbuster future for the franchise. Um, 65 out of 100 on Metacritic, uh, and it has an average of A on CinemaScore. IGN reviewer Eric Goldman gave it 9 out of 10, saying Rogue One is a movie crammed with fan service, but when fan service is done this well, there's little to complain about and much to adore. Our bestie Peter Travers gave it 3.5 out of 4, saying this spin-off prequel has the same primitive, lived-in, emotional, loopy, let's-put-on-a-show spirit that made us all fall in love with the original trilogy. While 
is that Ford Slash Film? Is that the name of it? Um, it is. A blog called Ford Slash Film gave Rogue One 8 out of 10, writing that the film is enjoyable but does not have the emotional weight of The Force Awakens because no character in Rogue One was strongly compelling. Can, can we just... Um, edit one of these later on when we like when we do a review for the rise of skywalker like can we just edit saying like colin hilding from the oz network said this film was a much better improvement than the last jedi but still lacked some of the weight of the original movies and put little because i mean we we're crediting ourselves like we're we're giving ourselves a citation so (laughs) you know um so there's a lot more reviews there um and they're all generally positive to be honest um, yeah, it's, not... it's got a lower Rotten Tomatoes rating than The Last Jedi. <laughs> Fucking idiots. Um, it was nominated for two Oscars. Best sound mixing, best visual effects. Did not win either of them. Uh, won a couple of Empire Awards. Um, obviously, you know, a uh, bit of a propaganda film there that the Empire awarded itself some movie awards <laughs> there. Um, won a Saturn Award for best special effects. Good for them. Uh, box office. Uh... I think we've mentioned it a few times. This was a much bigger hit than I think anybody ever thought it would be. Uh, worldwide, it made $1 billion. A billion dollars! Um, domestically, 532177324 So, uh, is this... This is the third highest uh, box office for a Star Wars in movie history. Uh, only behind The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So, um, outrank the prequels in terms of that. Uh, was the number one movie of 2016, which... What do what we have? Do we have an Avengers movie in 2016? No. Was Age of, well, Age of Ultron was 2015, I think. So what were our what were our key rivals for Rouge 1? Uh, Finding Dory was number two. <laughs> of course wow. it was. Disney um, was cleaning up that year. Captain America Civil War 3. The Secret Life oh. of Pets, number four. Uh, really? Um, Disney had four of four of the top five movies were Disney. Then you got Jungle Book, Deadpool, Zootopia, Batman v Superman was only eight. Uh, Still a lot higher than people probably give that credit for. Three hundred thirty million dollars only. (laughs) Well, Suicide Squad as well. Like two movies that I hated still made Mm -hmm. the top ten. And Sing. Oh god, that was a shit Mm. movie. I've never seen it, but I saw the trailer and gave me the disease. (laughs) Like. Tenth, so wow. Uh, so five hundred thirty-two million, as I said, its opening weekend it made one hundred and fifty-five million. Uh, its nearest competitor was Moana, which was in its fourth week, making twelve million. Uh, Collateral Beauty also opened up that weekend. That was a huge box oh. office failure, wasn't it? Um, wow. Weren't you that... saying something about Will Smith never not liking a Will Smith movie? <laughs> well, I haven't seen that. So <laughs> Fences <laughs> also opened that weekend. The Wasted Time Naruda opened up to twenty-nine thousand dollars. But then if we go down to uh, A Kind of Murder, only made $978. Uh, so, a <laughs> bit of a slow week for that one. That was uh, for the people who couldn't get into Rogue One because it was sold out. Yes. Oh, this is the only other thing playing? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go see that one. Um, so, I guess uh, plot keywords. Um, I, I've been nothing. searching this. I literally... Uh, found one out of probably a hundred i've gone through here but it is a good one female criminal um haunted by the no. past prequel and sequel um i'm blindness. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to man with a ponytail month ah. <laughs> yes it's 
been about uh, time. What have we got? Particularly because number one will be John Wick Chapter 3, number two, <laughs> Aquaman, number three, Deadpool 2, and number four, John Wick Chapter 2, Baby Driver number five. So um, got a couple good choices in there. Followed by that, I'm going to go for Data Transmission Month. Um, featuring Rogue One, a Star Wars story, Nemesis 4, Death Angel. That's it. There's only two movies on the list. So, um, What are we doing with this movie? Oh, we're buying all of them. Let's just be honest. Well, almost well. all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, where would we rank this right now? Oh, this one's really tough. Like, Because here's the thing. I'm, I did buy this movie, but it's not one that I'll watch as much of the episodes. And I think there are issues with the story that could have been done better. It's very similar complaints I would have to The Phantom Menace. Like, I love The Phantom Menace. I think there are issues with the story and the characters in The Phantom Menace that would... You can see how they could have fixed that. It's not like it was a bad movie. It's just it needed some reworking. And even with everything they did with this, it still needed reworking. Um, Like, in some ways, I want to rank it higher than The Phantom Menace because I think that the final act of this movie just plays so well, but... I feel like we need to do a final revised version once we've seen The Rise of Skywalker. So I think this is going to be close, but for now I'm going to put it just behind The Phantom Menace. So I'll put all three of the prequels just because I love the episodes above everything else. So episode three, then episode two, then episode one, then this, and then Solo. Uh, Well, I will rank this fifth at the moment. I still put Solo above it. Um... And, yeah, the prequels are still above it as well. So, <laughs> there's, there's a popular opinion. Um, so, yeah. But, but I think I, I think some good points in this movie about some issues that this movie does have still. And, look, I will admit on the third time, like, it it, it got better for me this time around than it did. But oh, I, I, I still stand by, as I keep repeating myself, that it is tad overrated. I mean, But the last 45 minutes, half hour is just incredible cinema. So um, that that's enough to elevate it there. But, um, I mean, going into this rewatch, uh, pre-Solo, uh, the last time I ranked um, all the Star Wars movies, I had this eighth of nine. Um, so, <laughs> wow. and look, would I probably still have that? Ugh. The Force Awakens is a tricky one. <laughs> like, just, yeah. we know it's last. I'm going to, yeah. But, like, The it's, Force Awakens uh... is just one of these movies that it's just like, you know... You watch it, and each time you feel differently, I feel. Especially because The Last Jedi didn't improve it in any way. That's why I think we will rank these, but there is going to have to be a revised version because, I mean, I feel like Rogue One improves A New Hope the same way that A New Hope actually helps Rogue One. Mm. Um, The same could be said for The Rise of Skywalker. Who knows? I doubt it's going to change my feelings on The Last Jedi. But Force Awakens, nothing has improved with it over time. So Mm. we're still a couple weeks away from that, though. I definitely like The Force Awakens more after I saw The Last Jedi, I will say that. Um, yeah, but... <laughs> well, I guess it does improve it in a way. <laughs> Which leads us into next week. I guess maybe this is where everyone's been waiting for because like, we've done the prequels, we've done the anthologies, and now we're kind of into the 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 untouchables, right? The the perfect three. Um, just um, the, the ones that everybody thinks are just so good that there's nothing wrong with them. Now, us being us, there are things that are subtly wrong with them, but... This is this is our childhood. This is just what can we say about the original trilogy? So we start off with a new hope, but um, yeah, I mean, what what can we express to even explain what we're going to be doing next week? The prequels went for six hours. Fuck, we better get started on these now because they're going to go for like twelve hours each, aren't they? Yeah. Um. 
I mean, who knows? Maybe we're just going to be in agreement over everything. And this is a perfect movie. End of episode. Uh, Han like, did shoot first. Yes. <laughs> well, we, I think we will get into some discussion about things that the special edition does improve on. Because there's a lot of stuff that was done in the special edition that people forget was part of the special edition. If they actually would go back and watch the original, they'd realize, oh, that maybe doesn't look so good. And, but uh, it's, I think the f- most fun thing about this for me is that you know, you hear all these people, especially all the people who are involved in the Star Wars movies, they'll always talk about when I saw Star Wars for the first time. Everybody's got a story about, I sat in this movie theater and I saw the Star Destroyer, or, you know, I was like 10 years old and it was on video. Like, I, I feel like all of us have that same story as well. Like, every person who's watched it probably remembers seeing it for the first time. I, I vividly remember it. And there's really only three movies that I grew up watching where I had that impact. Like the very first time I saw it, I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. A lot of the movies that I love now from my childhood, movies like Ghostbusters or Rocky or uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, I didn't really have as strong of a reaction the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, that was cool. And the more you see it, the more you get into it. But really for me, there was just Superman the movie, Back to the Future, and A New Hope. I can still remember seeing those the first time. And it was that moment of being like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And... I'm not even going to say nostalgia is the reason because this is my number one. There's no question about it. We already did our top 50 rankings of our movies. This was my number one of all time <laughs> of any movie. Uh, but it's now not even just nostalgia because I think I flip-flopped on this over the years where there have been times where I thought, no, this one's my favorite movie. This one's my favorite movie. And this is the one I always go back to. Like, <laughs> I doubt I will have one bad thing to say with this. I'll definitely point out some funny things about the movie. I mean, if you listen to any of our episodes, some of our most loved movies, we can definitely have fun with it. But this is going to be like a gushing fest. Just like Jurassic Park was for me, I guess, at the end of the day. So there yes. we go. Uh, so that's next, next week. And you hope, 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 hope. Oh. <laughs> um, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe, all the relevant channels. You know the deal. Leave us some feedback. We'd appreciate it. And uh, let us know what you think of Rouge One, a Gunny McShoot Face story, um, the the revised edition. And also, hashtag dental for stormtroopers. Just putting yeah. it out there again. Uh, but until next week, my name is Ben, and I'm one with the Oz Network, and the Oz Network is with me. <laughs> Uh, and my name is Colin and I was originally conceptually designed as an Asian woman thank you for listening to the Oz Network don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week for more information hit us up at theoznetwork.net